This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. You did it. Woohoo! You made it. You made it. We're so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you, crowds. Well, that, that was... That was more for the fact that it's the weekend and not so much for you. Oh no! no. But I want you to feel good too. So uh, no, let me. I'll I'll give you a clap. Oh, well, we we got a lot of people in here today. Loaded, but only one clapping for you. Ah, Just for you makes you feel good. But what about everybody that's listening? We're clapping for you because you know what? It's the Friday before Thanksgiving, and <laughs> obviously Jeff has given up. What? Wow. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, he's got a beard. Shh. (laughs) Shh. I love it. Jeff's growing a full beard uh, because he leaves when? Tomorrow? Monday. Oh, you're going to wait until Monday. Well, uh, yeah. I've got some things to do. I mean, you you want family time, but you... He's got to get his snacks ready. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're driving the girls to California. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There's one boy, but... Well, he's flying. Well, he's flying. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He that's and right. I forgot about flying. that. Lucky, lucky. So I thought you were leaving today or tomorrow because the beard, the clothes, <laughs> the pajamas you're wearing. It's really cute. What are you doing for the holidays? Going to stay here and travel to the in-laws that's right, and go back and forth. And, yeah. yeah, I'm going to St. George. Come on. He's going to see Justice uh, League. I almost said Justice Squad. It's tomorrow, yeah. Justice League? League, yeah. It's going to be a great day. Yeah, no, it sounds like a great one. Yeah. Is it about uh, no, it's Superman, Mr. Sessions, Batman Brother and... Sessions? <laughs> no. It's not about Doctor Strange? It's not about Doctor Strange? No, no one named Beauregard is starring in Has it movies. been the craziest week? It's been the craziest two weeks. I mean, okay. Uh, where do you even begin? Because Al Franken's in trouble now? Yep. But what this is about, and I think we could probably tie a big ribbon on it. Oh, oh no, really? Go ahead. Sexual tie- harassment. Uh-huh. It's bad. Bad. By the way, always has been. Yeah. <laughs> but it was quietly hidden. Hmm. And it's the old boys will be boys concept. So, in a way, what's amazing? Exactly. It's the boys will be boys. They're just, he's a comedian. But honestly, um, this is this, we need really good dialogue around this harassment thing. Oh, yeah. Because apparently it's everywhere. <laughs> Everybody, every every time you turn the page, there's another one coming out, another story coming out. So is there a day that the stories um, – Stop? Stop. I don't know. Or – and maybe there is got, there's got to be a great catharsis and um, strength in all of the people that are reporting their harassment. It hasn't devastated like academia yet. So there's just sections of our mm, society that yeah. are still left to be probed. Well, as. but then again, or is some of it also being uh, pushed down like the fact that Congress covered up – their sexual harassment right. cases with $15 million of payments that nobody knows about. Nobody, they know about the payments, yep. but they don't know who the payments went to. So does that is that what happens at universities? Is that what happens in local government? I and mean, we hear a lot of stories, but um, there are a lot of victims, folks. And so it, this isn't just – this shouldn't just be titillating and exciting because all of a sudden there's all of these stories. And it shouldn't just be another – the fall of another leader. You know, This should be the fact that people – have been treating people poorly for years. And saw, now people feel like they have a voice. I saw a graphic yesterday 
that kind of had a breakdown of all the different celebrities that have been accused, how many people have accused them, the names of the people that accused them. There was a director that had a film director that had 300 accusers. Yeah. 300. Oh, my heavens. A film director? Yes. So, I mean, imagine the oppressive, fearful culture that that would create. So you either have to oblige or not work. I mean, and yeah. how many hungry actors are there that are like, I'll do whatever. Just sure. give me my shot. And how many of those directors have said, I can, I can make or break your career. Right. And again, and again I, you, I can already see how the country will divide this. Republicans, see? Naughty Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood's disgusting. Hollywood does horrible things. Right. Except in Alabama, there's been some horrible things. But all allegations, because none of it's true, because that may not even be my handwriting. And yet eight people coming out against Roy Moore. Uh, then, then a very vocal Democrat now gets in trouble, but a past president, the one that we've always talked about, right? who was already in trouble. Well, listen to this. Last then, night- And another president. Last night on CNN, yeah. Amanda Carpenter, she's a uh, former senior staffer to Senators Jim DeMint and Ted Cruz, right? Oh, she was wow. being interviewed. Yeah. And she said, for every Clinton, there'll be a Trump. For every Roy Moore, there'll be an Al Franken. Once you've covered up for one, you've lost the moral credibility to hold the other to account. Who and said that's, this? This is Amanda Carpenter. She's a, a political advisor, one of their commentators. But yeah. yeah, just the idea that- both sides are taking this moral high ground, and all of a sudden, oh, no. we did it too. And mm-hmm. you, you still belong to a, a group of the, of people that would still then pay fifteen million out. It was um, seventeen point two. Wait, who paid seventeen point two million? Congress paid seventeen point two ah. million dollars in uh, what do they call them? Just payoffs to quiet lawsuits. Yeah. And quell Sheesh. lawsuits, and so now we talked about this the other day, where they have the there's uh, the the person who accuses a, a, a member of Congress of harassment. Yeah, you have to go through counseling for mm. a month or two. Then there is a non disclosure agreement that you must sign, and then there's yeah. some mediation that goes through. Yeah, and then there's a cooling off period, and then you can actually file the paperwork. But I, by the way, all of which to protect. The institution and the politician. And the mm-hmm. politician, so the name is never exposed. Yeah. You, this whole time, that whole process happens, right. that person's working in the area where they were harassed, right? And then there's a payoff. And that money comes out of tax dollars. Yeah. Now oh. they're now they're changing, they're, they're proposing to change that, making it so that the member of Congress has to pay whatever fine out of their own pocket. Well, yeah. Why isn't it that way already? Well, but here's well I, who set up the uh, system. Oh, right, right. right? Well, they give the same, themselves yeah. pay raises. They do all kinds of things. To well, help it's themselves. the same reason that they get they'll do a health care bill, but it won't include their health care. Right. Well, they have to be exempt so that they can they can govern. But here's here's something I've kind of been learning is, um, and I feel like I'm a very sensitive person. I think I'm very careful. I think I'm socially intelligent to know to know what it, what uh, what harassment might be, but right. not, or not. But I think the reality is there's probably a lot of harassing going on. That is just ignorant, right. just stupid ignorance, not knowing a line. So um, I, I think every one of us could could take a look at ourselves and say, OK, I may not pull off a Franken, 
But uh, by the way, and, and Franken's a comedian or was, you, and you that at, seemed funny. You and, look at the photo, right? Yeah. Completely inappropriate. Totally. But he's staring at the camera with this huge grin oh, right. because he's trying to be funny. Yeah. And it's wrong. See, that's and the he paradox went completely of it. out right. of line. That's yeah. right. Well, and then the kiss was another issue. Uh-huh. Well, and yeah. the fact that he wrote a script that demanded a kiss, and then they had to practice the kiss, and then the kiss that he delivered. So I guess my big... It, shout out for all of us is don't don't turn this divisive. Everybody just go look at your own game and clean it up. Stop it. And let's give let's give don't start questioning every woman that comes out because why would they come out? Hmm. Would it not have been easier to not come out against Franken? It would and she luckily has a platform and a voice where she can do it. And a photo. And a photo, <laughs> which, by the way, seriously helps. But the other thing she said is that every single time he would talk, she would notice – I mean, anytime she'd hear anything about him or anything that was said about him, she'd clinch her fists. Mm. And, and, she, and she started to realize that she has a lot of stuff about this that she's never been able to let go of. Apparently, she's forgiven him. I don't yeah. know if there yeah. was a payoff yeah. there that may have helped out with no, that. No, yeah. I, I was watching uh, Jake Tapper on CNN interviewed her. Read the yeah. – there was the first apology. There was two of them. The first one they initially put out seemed sort of really quickly put out. I'm sorry for anything. And then the second one was more in-depth, and he read that to her. Jake Tapper yeah. did read it to the accuser, and she was – she goes, I accept that apology. He goes, she wow. goes, that sounds sincere. She goes, I'm not trying to be vindictive here. Right. I'm not just trying to get this out there that this is happening yep. and this is wrong. We can't and we mm. can't. And he admits that and yeah. he's, he's saying there's an ethics uh, investigation yeah, that's going to happen. That. I want that. Please, you know, I will cooperate. So, I mean, but, he's doing all the – he's saying all the right things. And again, too, he he talked about how ashamed he was and he um, – and again, everybody everybody in politics is going to say blah, 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 Democrat, blah. But in, yeah. the, but in the end, too, this, this has hit everything. This has hit – think of the – Think of the uh, media, you know, stars. They were really stars of the media that have fallen because of this. And then President Trump comes out calling him Al Frankenstein and and dares comment on it. Right. He has a video, and right? He, he There's not, a video where he's making yeah, inappropriate comments. He ought comments. not comment. Yeah. Um, and he ought not polarize it. Let's just – the reality is everybody need we need to take this whole thing to a higher level of – Respecting and giving women a voice, and and really look at our culture. She brought up a good question or a good point about our culture. This this may be our culture historically, and we've got to change it. So yep. crazy stuff. Think about but, your own behavior too. Oh no, exactly. If you're a close talker, uh, if you're you a close might want to talker, back up a little. Bit. If you're a toucher, some people are touchers, and some aren't, and uh, <laughs> and some touch is absolutely inappropriate. Like I would say, in the workplace, you usually don't need to touch each other. I mean, Jeff and Terry are there. You guys are always all over me, and I'm just not true. So, does that mean we have to stop giving you a little smooch on the cheek? Yeah, that was weird. That, okay. Why do you always do that? That two sided, you know, European kiss. It's Russian. Well, Russian I, kiss. Yeah. I, I've done it ever since you came back saying that uh, you know you had roots <laughs> in Italy and Rome. And yeah. Opa. That's yeah. what they do there. That's what they do there. But you're yeah. You, you may not carry our blood. <laughs> anyway, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? In other news, the Senate Finance Committee approved Republicans' plan to overhaul the tax code late Thursday night, voting 14 to 12 along party lines. The House approved the proposal earlier in the day, and the Senate plan will now move to the full chamber. Republicans are working to get compromise legislation 
to uh, President Trump's desk by the new year for the millions of hardworking Americans who need more money in their pockets and a chance for a better future. Help is on the way, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said in a statement. When the Senate returns after Thanksgiving, I will bring this must-pass legislation to the floor for further debate and open consideration. Backers claim the bill would cut both individual and business taxes and repeal the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate. Don't you love that idea? You know, after this next break, hmm. we're going to rip it up. We're going to take care we're of it. We're going to get busy. That's what I say every time when I say, okay, I'm, this is going to be my last thing of nachos, and then I'm going to get yeah, serious yeah, yeah, yeah. about yeah. this. <laughs> after the next break. If you, want, uh, if you want to see an interesting video, yeah, Orrin Hatch and oh, a got, Senator Brown yeah. in their meeting. They uh, they got feisty. They went feisty, and Orrin Hatch uses his, his uh, gavel to quiet the place. I'm in charge. Hammer, bang, hammer, bang. quiet, point Did of order, really? point of order. And then he looks at him and he goes, I'm tired of this. You're always talking about how we're trying to take money from middle class. He goes, I grew up middle class. And then he, another point, he's like, I've <laughs> passed more legislation than every single one of you combined in this room. Ooh. That how was, can you question yeah. me? You know, <laughs> That was such great audio. That, By the way, Ooh. that is the ultimate senator smackdown. Yeah. How much legislation have you passed? Right. And then the whole time you're like, but you're yeah. going to... There's there is a sixty there's a poll from Quinnipiac. Right? Yeah, sixty percent of respondents feel that this benefits the rich. No, but you see, again, you know what though? The argument would be what eighty percent of the taxes, yeah. and money generated are generated from the rich, right? So they need a break. Except the middle class is dying. We're dying. So it, you hear the arguments yeah, both sides. The like, no. and, and again, oh. it's a. But by the way, no one's talking about the poor. No. Because they don't pay taxes and they don't need breaks. Yeah. It's another example, too, of somebody that's toward the end of their career just saying whatever they want and being very passionate about it. I want to get to that. Am I there yet? (laughs) No. 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 Will you guys tell me when I'm near that? You know you've reached it when you're like Senator Hatch and when you go to make a point and you have to stop so that your aides behind you can fill you in on how you should respond. Well, and when no one's listening to you, it seems like. Well, that's too, yeah. Yeah. In other news, Tesla. Yes. See, uh, CEO Elon, Elon Musk Thursday night unveiled the company's long-awaited electric semi-truck at an event outside L.A. The Tesla Semi with autopilot safety features like automatic braking and lane-keeping systems has been touted by the electric car maker as a way to drastically transform the commercial trucking industry yeah. with a chance to cut down on pollution and save on labor costs, which is a concern. Uh-oh. With a design that would allow drivers to stand up in the cab, Musk said that the new model will give drivers a better experience and also enhance safety on the road. Tesla said each truck will also have built-in connectivity with a fleet management system to allow routing and remote monitoring. The company has yet to fully offer details on the truck's range, price, Uh-oh. and future production plans. But this is that... I don't know if Bass is going to like that. This is that step that starts taking jobs away yeah. from people, and then how do we? where do those people work? Well, and do you want your truck driver standing up? It's a weird design. They well, already can... They're right they, in the center they, of the cab. Some of them can cook in their cab. The last thing I right. want them doing is running to the microwave while he's driving. Well, they uh, need to get some sleep. Some That's of what the, these guys really Some need. of the videos so. I've seen is the, what, the person can get the truck on the freeway, right? Yeah, that's right. Then you hit autopilot, and then you go back and do inventory and do whatever you need to do in the back of the truck. That's, that's cool. scary. And then you yeah, can come back. Yeah, but that'll be cool someday. Especially if you're a truck driver. Yeah. Can you imagine, honestly, if you could get some Zs? Oh. While you, all you have to do is get your truck in and out of cities, mm-hmm. which, by the way, has got to be the most stressful part of driving, driving. a truck. Yeah. Well, that and you know, hydrating. They already have they already have beds in the cabs there. Yeah. Oh no, totally. They got everything in there. 
Man, poor Bass. Well, we'll have to check in with him on that. Right. And more news, uh, Rupert Murdoch seriously is serious about selling 21st Century Fox, and he has many suitors. Both Comcast and Verizon have approached 21st Century Fox about acquiring the same assets that Disney was eyeballing earlier this month. For Comcast, is seen as an international expansion strategy. Murdoch mm. has stakes in satellite distributors like European broadcaster Sky and Star India. Ooh. And Fox's movie and TV studios. Comcast is also attracted by the prospect of gaining control of Hulu. Yes. They'd be the one person that's interested, apparently, in Hulu when they're, you see the numbers of people <laughs> actually using Hulu. But whatever, they're, they're, they see value somewhere. Fox News and Fox Sports are not for sale, as one source put it Thursday night. The Wall Street Journal says Sony's entertainment unit has also informally approached Fox on the sale of, of 21st Century Fox. Uh, the website Recode reports if Comcast or Verizon or Disney want a piece or pieces of Fox, it'll have to wait in line. The pending court fight will make the AT&T-Time Warner merger the bellwether for all future media mergers in the land. Cause they, if you remember, we talked about that where the uh, federal government has told the AT&T-Time Warner people that CNN needs to be taken out of that yeah, right. to make that happen. And then people are like, is President Trump influencing all this? How is this working? So that whole fight is going to... D- dictate how these media mergers move uh, forward under the Trump administration. Just don't let Disney get it. Please don't please, let oh, please, Disney oh, please, get oh, please, it. Oh, please. No, you need to. <laughs> no, no. Please, please, I, no. I need to see X-Men no. versus Avengers. That's all I want. Mm. I've thought about Someday. this. I That'll need to see happen. Hulk and Wolverine in a movie. I've seen them yeah, in cartoons. You, they need to be together. When you retire, you're yeah. going to need something to do. Yeah, and I can watch all those movies. So let's wait till that. Let's let that happen down the road. So uh, uh, Bloomberg Businessweek points out that a, ju- a judge did take the case in the AT&T Time Warner merger. Trump's tweets against CNN could haunt the Justice Department. Ooh. Right? Because you see motivation behind yeah. By the way, there's bigger things haunting the Justice Department right now. Right. But yeah. that could be. And uh, CNN says the digital advertising duopoly of Google and Facebook, in which they take in in 2017, will take about 90% of all the digital ad dollar growth in the country drives everybody else in media to try to run a tighter ship. Ah. So Fox is trying, okay, maybe we can cut these and make our budget look better and make money work better as we're trying to figure out these digital ads. Business 101. But the whole overriding thing we need to remember is we need to unite the Avengers and the X-Men, so Disney needs to win. Mm. No. No? Okay. No. What about America? What about the human being? We're already winning. Yeah. Didn't we're you all, know? We're all a bunch of winners. Did you hear this? Speaking of winning, um, what a great story. If you're going to have a heart attack, mm. oh yeah, where would you want to have that heart attack? Uh, if you in a hospital. Choose. Yeah, hospital would be like a great <laughs> choice. Check this story out. The president of the American Heart Association, Dr. John Warner, had a heart attack Whoa. in the middle of an association conference. It's a great place. Great place to do it if you're going to go down. Warner, CEO of the uh, University of Texas Southwestern University Hospitals in Dallas, was taken to a local hospital where doctors inserted a stent and opened a clogged artery. So here you are, a doctor, probably a cardiologist, I'm betting. And if you're going to have a heart attack, you'd want to have it at a, at a heart uh, American Heart Association meeting, wouldn't you? Sure. You've got cardiologists everywhere. You probably As- have defibrillators. You, so some guy right there could have just, you know, grabbed a butter knife. And put a stent in. Sure. How hard could that be? Well, why bet one guy had one in his pocket on his keychain? <laughs> hey, you want my stent off my keychain? <laughs> I always carry one just in case we need one. But uh, crazy cool story. I mean, again, 
there's a reason they're fighting at the American Heart Association to save lives and information helps. So he was even willing to share his story and get it out there. Uh, Cool stuff. Hey, straight ahead, by the way, speaking of health issues, uh, we're going to be speaking with an expert on redefining aging. As our population gets older and older, as you're taking care of your parents or as you yourself are aging, maybe the old images of growing old, maybe they don't apply anymore. So uh, let's redo them. Let's make it uh, an aging that we can all uh, look forward to. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you age, you know, appropriately and in a healthy way. Although it is a labor of love, caring for an elderly family member can be overwhelming, difficult, and stressful. Often we feel anxious about what our own fate in late adult life uh, will be as we care for those loved ones. Dr. Ann Kaiser Stearns, author of Redefining Aging, is uh, joining us today to discuss ways to cope with the challenges and blessings of caregiving while successfully aging yourself. Dr. Ann Kaiser Stearns, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. This is a uh, boy. I guess. I guess uh, as baby boomers are aging, and we're all really aging. It's. It really is. Uh, it's a humbling thing. It's a beautiful thing as we go through this aging process. But sometimes it's really scary to look down the road and see what our parents are going through and what we might have to face. You know, I wanted to write about successful aging ourselves and how we can reduce our own risk factors for Alzheimer's disease. Because when we're taking care of our elderly parents or another loved one with physical or cognitive impairments, it's often kind of threatening. My own mother and grandmother had Alzheimer's, and I was writing Redefining Aging. I found myself feeling like, well, gee, I don't, what can I do to reduce my own risks mm. and, uh, to age successfully? So I wrote about that at the same time that I wanted to give lots of helpful tips and strategies for caregivers to help them reduce the stress of caregiving. And it seems like it might be confusing to us, too, because um, there's aging, right? And then there's kind of, um, then there's disease. And and sometimes we don't distinguish. People uh, have lots of uh, wrong ideas about aging. Many people assume if we all just live long enough, we'll all get dementia. The reality is we have a 50% or less chance of having dementia, even if we live to age 90. And if a person has dementia or all, some uh, cognitive problems before age 80, it's always disease. It isn't a normal part of aging. So we need to understand that there are many myths out there. And the careful thing, uh, the thing that's so important to be careful about is that if we buy into these myths and have these stereotype uh, typical ages, ageism concepts in our head, we tend to live a self-fulfilling prophecy. We, can't, we tend to become what we expect to become. Mm. And the studies even show that people, uh, people in their 40s begin to form the idea in their heads of what kind of old person, so-called, they'll become, and there's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We tend to become uh, old before our time if we have that expectation, oh, I'll have this problem and this problem. Hmm. No, it's so true. And then uh, just the other day, somebody said, 
uh, yeah, so-and-so is um, – is I think they had cancer or something, and they're sixty. And I thought, what? Sixty is so young. And it's but exactly. sixty wasn't young to me when I was forty. Sixty is young to me when I'm forty-eight. Exactly. Does, does our mind move like that? I mean, it, when I'm yeah, seventy, right. will I think eighty's young? <laughs> well, the studies uh, show that uh, people have these ideas that when you get old, you're lonely and depressed. The most uh, lonely folks and depressed folks are in their 20s and 30s and teens. One of the things we know is that um, you have to be careful not to fall into these ageist notions. When when a uh, 30-year-old doctor was taking care of my mother in her 80s and would call her Margaret, I used to say, don't call my mother Margaret, call her Mrs. Kaiser, show her that respect. But that young doctor thought of her as ancient, and she is, was still thriving as a farmer's wife in Oklahoma. Interesting. It really is. Um, and what's amazing, too, about the whole thing is that it, we're all we're all going to get there. And I mean, or not. But we, it, when, we, when we get there, I guess so much of this is about how we how we see it, how we look at it. I know you talk a lot about uh, kind of the positive psychology side of it as well. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, you know, uh, we we lose um, 10 or 20 or 30 billion brain cells if we get Alzheimer's disease. But we have to remember that we still have 90 or 80 or 70 billion brain cells left. So even if we should uh, develop Alzheimer's disease or another form of dementia, the person, we are still there. We have to remember uh, that person is still there. But before that, we need to understand that most people don't get dementia. And between the ages of 20 and 75, IQ stays the same. We, I like to talk about stereotype threat. Yeah. Stereotype threat is when society's expectations put a straitjacket on you and send the message that you must be a person with, a cert, with certain problems or limitations because you're an older adult. You know, as we expect to experience and experience, so we experience that experience. Mm. That means we better watch what we expect because we'll live toward that uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. Let me give you an example of how it compares with racism yeah. and, and uh, many other of those isms. If a, if a very bright black kid has a white teacher, he is three times less likely to be identified as gifted. And the tragedy is oh. he doesn't get it in his own head that he has special talent. Yeah, he's got something, yeah. The same thing happens with us as we age. If we get all these messages about catheter advertisements and stair lifts and medications and women writhing on the floor crying out, help, help, uh, I need a medical alert, sort of thing. Yeah, right. If we, all those messages in the media are invitations to think of ourselves in stereotypical ways. I'm 75. I still teach full-time. I just finished my fourth book. I'm a grandmother for the first time three months ago. Oh, Life wow. is still very vital. But my role models, my dad shot his last elk in Colorado when he was 75. <laughs> and, and my granny uh, went overseas with me when I studied abroad as a university student when she was 75. So That's beautiful. our role models matter. No, and totally. We, 
And we need to continue to have a purpose in life. We never run out of the need to find life meaningful and purposeful. But I want to say how we can reduce our risk of Alzheimer's and yeah, other dementia. That's great. Let us know. How there, do we do it? There are four things uh, you either need to avoid or get medical treatment for, most especially. Smoking doubles the risk of Alzheimer's. Diabetes doubles the risk. Obesity doubles the risk. And sleep apnea. Hmm. We need to either avoid those or uh, get treatment for them. Also, uh, we need to get treatment for high blood pressure. We need to um, avoid long-term exposure to environmental toxins. We need to avoid substance abuse. We need to do something about chronic stress. And you know the studies show that if if you walk from six to nine miles a week, which is about thirty minutes a day, you you cut in half your risk of Alzheimer's disease. Do you really? Physical wow! Exercise. Yep. If I could talk about three kind of pillars: yeah. physical exercise, emotional connections. One of the things we know, if we look at people who are a part of a spiritual community, they're a part of a family, they uh, involve themselves uh, with other people, we know that not getting isolated and being deeply involved in relationships with other people, um, that reduces our risk. And the other thing is attitude. We need to look at how are we thinking about life how do we uh, continue to have a sense of purpose? So I like to talk about motion, which is the physical activity, and emotion, which is our need to be connected with our spiritual communities, with our families, with our uh, larger communities, and then attitude, continuing to have a sense of purpose and not buying into ages. I love that. Again, we're speaking with um, Dr. Ann Kaiser Stern. She is a professional uh, uh, scientist, behavioral scientist at the Community College of Baltimore County and is the author of the book Redefining Aging, A Caregiver's Guide to Living Your Best Life. And, um, and I guess when I think of it, too, um, there, there, is a, there is this loneliness factor, and I, I've heard depression rates tend to go up with, uh, with seniors or those that are aging. Um, what do we do? Um, how do we how do we help that? And I mean, if they've got family around, I mean, I think family could help. But how do we make sure that we're not, you know, leaving our aging adults and seniors alone? Well, first of all, we have to be careful about those stereotypes. Yes, there is depression in older people, and oftentimes someone will be wrongly diagnosed with early Alzheimer's when really they need to be treated with medication mm. for severe depression. So uh, that's true, but honest to goodness, if you look at the worldwide surveys having to do with happiness around the world, there's a physician, uh, Henry Lodge, who's a professor at Columbia University Medical School, and he says that a majority of people 70 and over say, and this is worldwide, that they are as happy as they've ever been. And when Americans over 65 were asked, what were the best years of your life, more than 50% say, right now. Oh, wow. So, um, there, um, yes, uh, there is depression in older Americans, and um, we need to remember our family members. For instance, we need more ride programs. I was talking about the importance of the spiritual connections mm-hmm. and the community connections. 
one of the most helpful things you can do as somebody who wants to help someone else who's who's taking care of an elderly loved one is um, be a part of getting getting that person um, to their religious services or getting that person to their uh, memory care center or uh, being a, a sitter with the elderly person so that the caregiver can go to movies and can be with loved ones and can get exercise and can get away from uh, 24-7 caregiving. Hmm. No, I, I think want, it's a good cool idea. I'd like to talk a little bit about something we in psychology call John Henryism. Hmm. You know, in, in American folklore, John Henry was a steel-driving man, a railroad builder. He hammered a steel drill into rock at such a fast pace that he won a race against a steam-powered hammer, hmm. and he prevailed over great odds, but he fell over dead as soon as he won the race. We have a tendency in this country to, of course, it's, about, it's great that we admire hard work and perseverance and sacrifice, but we have to be careful not to admire this caregiver who's sacrificing so much that he's sacrificing his own health. Caregivers have to take care of themselves to be able to sustain the long haul of being a caregiver for their loved one. Hmm, that's such a great that's such a great story and metaphor. Um, I, I guess when we look at it, a lot of us are so busy, you know, hammering the steel that uh, we're not taking care of ourselves. We're not. And it seems like um, and then all of a sudden and, and life's good. You know, mom and dad are doing great. I'm just trying to keep my, a business alive and raise my family. Then something happens, an event, it seems, a turn of something. And, and then I become really a full, more full-on caregiver. And that would lead to my exhaustion. How do I, is there anything I can do as a younger adult to prepare to be a caregiver and to maybe, you know, have better plans in place to have better, a better paradigm ready for when those days come? Well, that's really a great question. Uh, I'm a single parent. Um, I have a, a daughter who's 34 and a daughter who's 31. And one of the things that I've tried to do is to think ahead on their behalf. Um, some people will decide to get long-term care insurance. Everybody should have a will. Many people will de- decide to have a, a living trust. Um, it's important to talk to our children about uh, before we get to uh, a, a place of needing care, to let them know what we're comfortable with and what our concerns are, and to plan ahead. Do we want to age in place in the home we have? Um, I don't need a wheelchair ramp or handicap bars, but when I had my, uh, I live in an old house, and when I had the bathrooms redone, I had those things put in. Hmm. Because, yeah. because I saw when my parents aged, they needed those things in their home, and they were more vulnerable because they didn't have them. So we can plan ahead that way. And, of course, it's important to save money uh, for our aging years. That's one of the most important things we can do uh, to take care of our children. How- but here is the biggest yeah. thing. We have got to stay physically active and engaged in life. The uh, my hope is that I can uh, be mobile and healthy as long as possible and shorten to the greatest extent possible how much I'm uh, dependent on others. And the key to that is exercise, uh, uh, not uh, becoming obese, 
not uh, getting diabetes or getting treatment for uh, high blood pressure. The key to that is good medical care and and healthy lifestyle. Yeah. No, that is and, – and and to that, just psychologically, it, it'll give you more hope, more energy, more more strength. Um, I guess as we're as we're also talking about this, there um, there's this weird stage too. I noticed with one of my uh, with my in laws, uh, where um, you you sometimes have to start taking things away. You have to start maybe not maybe we can't drive anymore. To to uh, I had a mother in law with um, Alzheimer's and hers actually started okay. with early onset, and no, uh, it was horrible. And um, so. Is there? Give us just some guidelines on how to make those decisions, how to maybe communicate the decisions, and, and still uh, help our help our parents feel empowered, and that they still have choice and ability and worth, and and yet still we might need to make some adjustments with them. Absolutely, I'd love to talk about that. So much of it has to do with how we treat and speak to the person. We have to remember that old people aren't children. Right. Nobody, no longer, no matter how far gone you might become with uh, an illness, no one wants to be treated like a child. We need to talk to our elders, uh, our parents, with uh, great respect and honor the uh, honor your our father and mother as uh, as we're taught in our uh, religious training. But there's some tips I have and. Um, there's a, um, a nurse who's a professor in Oregon named McCurry who, who uses the acronym DANCE. D, don't argue. Hmm. A, accept realistic limitations. N, nurture yourself. C, creative problem solving. And E, enjoy the moment. So that as, as the daughters and, and sons of our elders and or other caregivers, we need to remember uh, how the importance of how we talk and treat that older person. Um, so I would say it's more important to try to engage that person in conversation earlier. With early Alzheimer's, it's very tragic because it's um, the person is still young and uh, the Alzheimer's advances rapidly. And sometimes decisions have to be made by the doctor having, or the family having to do with taking keys away. Yeah. But the critical thing is, uh, to, to the greatest extent possible, involving that elder person in, uh, to the greatest extent they can in participating and in being treated with, with kindness. There's a quote that the Dalai Lama has that I love. Uh, he says, whenever possible, always be kind. It is always possible. Mm. So we, true. We can uh, we can try to force people and and uh, scold and boss and argue with and condescend, but um, you know our our elders needed to be need to be treated with kindness and respect as long as they live, and that's what we'll want our children to do in response to us. That's exactly right, Doctor Ann Kaiser Stearns. Thank you so much. Uh, wonderful insight. Um, about being a caregiver and the book Redefining Aging, A Caregiver's Guide to Living Your Best Life. So much to learn, so much to live. Remember, folks, uh, you are modeling for your children how they should treat you. So be really, really intentional in, um, in doing, in, in treating and caring with love. Powerful stuff. Ah, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. 
Now to our NFL update on the fix of the minute. What are we fixing this time in the NFL? Well, they're trying to make the... uh, They're constantly tinkering with the television broadcast. Are they now? Trying to figure out ways to make it more interesting. Every time there's a Super Bowl, whoever has it has some new instant replay technology. And most of the time it lasts about for that game and goes away because it didn't work. People didn't like it. CBS had one, I remember. It was called the CBS Eye. I can't remember. But basically, you start on one side of the play. And then they had cameras that yeah. ringed the entire stadium and got you basically, they call it, it was like 180. You got like a 180 all the way around to the other side of the play. So all they did is, if you were on the right side, they showed you the left side. Yeah. yeah which I, really wasn't compelling. No. I remember it, getting dizzy. Yeah. And it swung around. And you're like, what uh, was the point of this? Oh, that's a big story. It wasn't showing you anything new. Yeah. You didn't see any new aspect of the game. It just showed you the other side of the play. Do you remember in one of the games, the the camera, that the really cool camera that's like right over the game, yeah. somebody kicked a ball into it? Yeah, because it was in the wrong place. And it was in a Super Bowl, wasn't it? Um, I can't remember what I game it was, that was. It was a big game. Maybe a playoff yeah. game or something. But yeah, they know where to put the camera so it's out of the way. You put right. it behind the kicker. Right. But they had it in front of the kicker and so or what do you do? whatever. Yeah. So, but what they did last night for Thursday night football, you have the Steelers playing the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, uh, NBC had the game. They aired the game. They planned to broadcast it from a new angle using a sky cam placed behind the quarterback. The camera shot behind the line of scrimmage, closer to the field of action, also offers a view of nearly all twenty-two players on the field. Because usually they just follow the football. Oh, interesting. Right? And so you don't really see maybe the wide receivers downfield, what they're doing. So you can see what they're all doing, but it's a wide shot, so... It's a wide shot. You're behind the quarterback. You even get to see what the offense and defensive linemen are doing, because usually from that, the the normal shot is from the side. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. And you can't really see a lot of depth or what's happening when the the offensive linemen, then they call someone, had a holding penalty, but you didn't see it because it's on the other side. But this puts you right behind it. It's the same view that you get if you play a game of Madden NFL on a computer or in a video game system. Right, right. Right. It's the same view. And the camera just sits behind the quarterback. You get to see the entire play. You see the running back. You see the hole open up and he runs through. And it's, it's more interesting because you actually get no. to see the play. Well, and it's the way you play video games, right? Exactly. So you, like the, because then all of a sudden you're looking at it and you're like, oh, that's the left uh, triple option sweep. Or whatever. That yeah. I, yeah, that was my favorite play. Yeah, I, I did that in the game. So you kind of – they're trying to get these mm-hmm. younger viewers who play that game to kind of watch that. But also it's a, okay. it's a mo- much more interesting view. I got a better idea for the older gen. What? You vibrate the entire field. <laughs> no. And you just vibrate it. Stratomatic is not a thing. And then you see where it moves people to. And then whoever ends up with the ball – That won't work. That's really old. I must not know anything about football because your left option triple sweep or triple whatever option. sounded like a combo at a fast food joint. It could to me. be. It could be. Well, yeah. Some yeah. of the codified language. NBC was forced to use this shot during week seven when the New England Patriots hosted the Atlanta Falcons oh, in a rematch right. of the Super Bowl. Fog, Fog rolled in to Gillette Stadium late in the first half. After halftime, Skycam technology provided the best camera angles because the cameras that were up in the stands shooting down at the mm-hmm. field, were you couldn't see the game. It was just too foggy. But the Skycam was close enough that you could see what was going on, and the game continued on TV. That's NBC true. said the, co- the coverage angle was met with widespread acclaim, but it remains to be seen how it will go over when used for an entire game. The network has also used the sky cam during the third quarter of the Oakland Raiders Miami Dolphins game after fireworks from the halftime show clouded 
the usually hot. It was hot that day, so all the the the, the, the uh, smoke and stuff from the fireworks stayed on the field. Yeah. So they used Skycam so you could see what was there. So they they t- they had a yeah. couple experiences. They did the entire game last night. I watched some of it. Thought it was awesome. Can they not like do quarterback cam? Is that just does it's, that give away too much information about what po- the, possibly? And we, it's too jarring. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but wouldn't you love to just see? There's, they've tried it in some video games. We lose. You, you do it from the quarterback angle. It is it is nauseating. You're going to lose your lunch. But you, I guess you too. You'd see the quarterback checking down its options, and you'd know how that quarterback thinks. Well, after the, watching them laugh, there's that. You and when they're in the huddle, they they they, they say yeah. things. They might say rude things. They, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Good. NFL's on it, and uh, boy, if they can solve this problem, then yeah. we can all be happy. And the next step is concussions. What they ought to have is the kneel down cam. Ah. Oh, they do. Except they don't ever show it. The people kneeling down for the the national anthem. Well, was there a big controversy that they don't ever show it on TV? They showed for weeks. They showed it. Now they've stopped because it's kind of something everyone. It's also dying down, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's dying down. Well, you know what? We're doing what we can. Uh, Interesting stuff. NFL. Even the NFL is trying to change, make things better. Are you? What was the last camera change you did? Stick with us. More fun ahead. Straight ahead on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Okay, so we've been talking about aging. We've been talking about the guy from the Heart Association, the head of the Heart Association that has a heart attack. So what happens if a female or a male has a heart attack? Who has the best odds of uh, making it out? Right. Now, this study was released at at that conference in Anaheim where the president of the American Heart Association had a heart attack. This is a famous study. Right. So this study just came out. Women are less likely than men to get CPR from a bystander, more likely to die, a new study suggests. Uh, And researchers think reluctance to touch a woman's chest might be one reason. Well, this hmm. doesn't seem to be a problem in certain places. Only 39% of women suffering cardiac arrest in a public place were given CPR versus 45% of men. And men were 23% more likely to survive, the study found. It involved 20,000 cases around the country and is the first to examine gender differences in receiving heart Holy help cow. from public versus professional responders. See, the women, again, they get taken advantage of. And it says rescuers may worry about moving a woman's clothing to get better access yeah. or touching the chest area to do CPR, but doing it properly shouldn't entail that, said no. the study leader. Hmm. You put your hands on the sternum, which is in the middle of the chest. In theory, you're touching in between the right. rest. Yeah. Right? No, so, well, it's I've done CPR, and I, I always thought men were less likely to live because they're maybe less likely to actually tell anybody they're having a heart attack. So there's been research on that. Mm. But apparently, if, a, if so if a woman's unconscious, we're less likely to immediately initiate CPR. Maybe if you have other people there, you say, I'm just going to put my hands on her chest, just yeah. so you know there's no foul well, play or if anything. If you just follow the protocol, it's like airway breathing circulation. So once you've kind of cleared – once you see the airway's not working – right. So you should be calling for 911, and I'm going to bet if you're calling for 911, people are okay with what you're doing. Yeah. If she's says, unconscious, no pulse, calling for 911, just, I'm initiating CPR. The minute that's going down, if anyone's like, hey, don't touch her. Right. It says more than 350,000 Americans each year suffer one 
in setting or year suffer one in set uh, a heart attack in setting uh, oh, wow. in a setting other than a hospital about 90% of them die but CPR can double or triple survival odds and as the study's lead author says this is not a time to be squeamish because no. it's life and death and you can still be delicate and careful and cover them somewhat i mean the reality is when when the fire department gets there She's going to be stripped, and yep. they're going to just get going and go save yeah, her life. Cut them right open. The rest yeah. of us are all dainty, and it's honestly protect their dignity. But right. um, yeah, thirty nine percent of women suffering cardiac arrest in public places were given CPR. Only thirty nine. percent And honestly, you'll get help. You'll get help around, but oh, we got to we we got to learn. Got to get over our fears. Some of these fears that maybe aren't warranted. Anyway, something's going on. Ah, that's why we give you these ideas. Step up. Let's learn how to do this. Let's learn how to take care of each other. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. Did you choke on something right there? What what just no, happened? I just like to, I like, I'm a little pitchy today. Hmm. A little pitchy. Uh, it's Friday. So after, you know, 14 or whatever hours of using my voice, my voice is like, it's time to rest. Yeah. Know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And everybody needs a little rest. That's why Friday is such a great day. And so uh, just so you know, next hour, it's all movies. It's all fun. It's all excitement. It's a gift we give you on the Matt Townsend Show. Jeff will be hosting the um, screen cleaning show. Really? After all this time, you still don't know the name of the show. You know what it is? I have uh, I've memorized the name of the show by going through the spring cleaning area of my brain, and it has nothing to do with media, videos, and screens. Well, maybe if you cleaned out some of those other non-important parts, you could remember the name of the show. I, I, what I need to do is come at it from the other angle. So I actually – when I think of your show, I think of – uh, spring cleaning at my house, uh, taking out, cleaning the garage, sheets on the out there on the clothesline. So basically, that's where I get and what I you're saying. Yeah. Uh, let's pretend that you're sweeping up things in your brain. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. Cleaning it and out, and you get uh, you don't have the right broom. You you have a push broom like you would use for your garage, right. and you're trying to get the corners. The okay. name of my show is in the corner, that corner, and you can't access it because you have the wrong broom. That's exactly right. That's right. I'm, I actually have a vacuum, and that's the problem. Yeah. <sighs> Screen cleaning is the name of the show. Well, uh, we got to the bottom of that. <laughs> next hour, you won't want to miss it, um, and we'll talk about it, I think, uh, a little bit later to find out what's coming up on the show. Uh, today, also, we're going to talk about the potential principle. A lot of us feel like we could be more, we could do more with our lives. And we're just not. We keep falling short of what we want to be. So we've got a great uh, guest coming on to talk about the book, The Potential Principle. How to be awesomer. Yeah. Missed it by that much. What? Yeah. We can't all hit every time. No, but I mean, a lot of us could hit sometimes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it'd be neat if we did. I mean, we don't. No. Right. I mean, that's the feedback we get. Anywho, I got a great... uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> got a great show for you. Plus, uh, it's almost like I don't want to mention uh, the news, so I'm going to let you do all the news because okay. some of it's just the yeah. same old, same old. Yeah. yeah. Just another day. Just another day. In, Things happen. In D.C. And- the holiday season has begun for me officially. Yeah. Well, it began for Jeff. Did you see that? Yeah, he just, just kind of gave up. Totally gave up. At least what it looks we- like. Gave up? Yeah. You wear your jammies? I gave in. I didn't give up. I gave in because we Ooh, caved and we, we decorated for Christmas. He wasn't really got... talking about it. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. You've decorated for Christmas? Yeah. We don't We've, do that. No, 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 no. We no, already no, no, talked no. about this on the show. We don't do that, though. After Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving. You let Thanksgiving that. pass, wow. then you unload Christmas. And I resent the giving up. Uh, I, I, I'll give you the beard, but I actually just started another diet bet game, so I'm, I'm giving in. To being healthy. You're the only guy I know that gambles on his own weight. <laughs> Seems like a... I mean, it's healthy, but it's, uh, it may be unhealthy depending on how far it goes. And this is a really great lesson because Jeff has learned it works for him. So if it works, just keep doing it. Exactly. Mm. It works. It works to pay money to do this, to gamble on your weight. It's a great strategy for weight gain or weight loss. As long as you don't take it into eating disorder territory. No, exactly. Or gambling issues. So last night I put my... Just one more game, and then I'm done. <laughs> I put my parents... I was going to say moms. It's my mom's. Yeah. Christmas lights on her house. Oh, neat. I didn't fall off the ladder. Oh, good. Holiday season that, has begun. That is great. This point out, it's a total success. I'm not in the hospital. I'm good. And it's perfect timing because storms are coming in. It was warm. Usually we do it and it's yeah. frigid mm-hmm. and I'm up there just falling apart. But you were up good. there in your muscle tee. Mm, no. Just that's how you roll. Just <laughs> wearing a shirt. Oh, it was good though. I put yeah. all the lights up. They look Festive. good. They're, my dad, had got, he purchased new lights for my mom. Oh, dad's opening the wallet. But I mean, just like we talked about with the last hour yeah. about... Your parents are aging. My father can't climb a ladder right. like he used he shouldn't. to. Think so of how many it. times he's climbed that ladder. Right. You need to risk your hips, Absolutely. your life. Sure. That's a good son. That's a good son. Yeah. My mom's, I don't think we've put up her Christmas lights yet. Yeah. Maybe we ought to do that this weekend. And because of that, I won't put up Christmas lights because I already did. Yeah, you've done your Just good not turn. on my house. Yeah. Too bad for your kids. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's get to the headlines. Any any headlines we should be paying attention? Any news? We On need to Thursday, know. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell responded to sexual assault allegations against Democrat S- Senator Al Franken by asking the chamber's ethics committee to investigate Franken's conduct. Senate Minority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer said in a tweet Thursday that he expects that Senator Al Franken will be investigated by the Upper Chamber's Ethics Committee. And Senator Al Franken issued a longer statement unequivocally apologizing for his actions and saying he'll cooperate with an ethics investigation into his behavior. Okay. So we're all set. Everyone's on board. They're all saying the right thing. Here's the question. Because it seems like, uh, in a weird way, he actually called for the investigation. He did. And he's willing and apologetic and the... He seems like this is this is a healthy thing, a healthy investigation. Mm-hmm. What about all the people that have had the investigations and we've heard nothing about? Right. But they're still wandering. Apparently, two sitting legislators, either congressmen or senators, or we don't know who they are, are wandering the halls up there, and millions have been paid in their behalf. According to a report from the Office of Compliance that was released on Thursday. Yes. Over the last 21 years, $17 million. Uh, so it has on, how many years? 21. Oh, oh, that's... Million a year. Oh, I thought I thought it was in the last few years. 21 okay. years, $17 million has been, in tax dollars has been spent on 264 harassment settlements. 
That just makes you sick. In 2007. 264? In 2007, there were $4 million. That's the biggest number. Yeah. The rest are under a million each. What each was year. going on in 2007? That's my question. That was a bad year. That was a bad batch. So yeah, you're looking at 264 settlements worth $17 million over 21 years. So I, I don't know. It's the idea that it's tax dollars that really ticks people off. See, why, again, are, why are we paying for their mistake? Well, and think of all the females that are now coming out telling these stories and feeling totally like attacked mm-hmm. for doing it. But there's 264 harassment cases tied to legislators. And the, those, their women, they got, they, apparently they may have had payout or a payout or whatever, but their voice wasn't heard. No. And no, there's no repercussions for these people. And you could probably assume that that person doesn't work there anymore. That yeah. actually put the the the, yeah. the claim in because uh, people don't want that working for them because you're going to make some claim against me or something, right, totally. so they don't hire them. And apparently, there are two currents. Uh, yes, they're saying there's just two. Walk in the halls. Walk but, in the halls. And honestly, they very easily could be on the committee evaluating Mr. Franken. Very were. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> See how this works? Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah got pretty worked up Thursday night right before the Senate Finance Committee approved a massive tax package on a party-line vote when Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio said the bill benefits the wealthy at the expense of the middle class. A view 60% of Americans believe, according to a Quinnipiac University poll. White House Press Secretary uh, Sarah... Huckabee Sanders similarly insisted on Thursday that both the Senate and the House version, which passed Thursday afternoon, will provide tax cuts to middle-class families, as President Trump has repeatedly promised. On Thursday, the Joint Committee on Taxation, Congress's official nonpartisan tax scorekeeper. Okay. All right. They estimate that by 2027, everyone making $75,000 or less a year would pay higher taxes under the Senate's plan that they currently are putting out there. Oh, so that's, that's when it all goes back to... It has to be reevaluated, but yeah. aren't the so the, the GOP current. saying that's not going to happen because ten years of low taxes? It's going to be hard for a lot of senators and Congress people to raise your taxes. Well, what they're well they're, what they're saying also is that the economy is going to increase. Yeah, our our economic output is going to go through the roof. So, but you can't bank on that because no. you don't know what's going to happen. But yeah. that's what they're banking their whole tax plan yeah, on is that we're going to have this economic growth and it's going to be huge. But isn't this – okay, so if you had to choose between uh, no tax plan yes. because it has a 60-person vote limit yeah. or a tax plan with 50 votes that would get you 10 years of tax, lower taxes, wouldn't you still choose the tax plan for lower taxes? I don't know. Let's, I mean – this is just more about the Democrats trying to make them force them to do a 60-person vote, which they know they can't get. No. <laughs> well, okay, fun. See what happens. Former Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak said it would take him more than 20 minutes to list all of the Trump officials he has had contact with because <laughs> the list is so long. In an interview aired on Russia's state Channel 1 TV station Thursday, Kislyak dismissed accusations of Russian election meddling as nonsense concocted by President Trump's opponents, but acknowledged that he had extensive contact with members of the Trump administration. The list of contacts so long, he said, I'm not going to be able to go through it in 20 minutes. Uh, Kislyak, who has been central figure in the U.S. investigation of the Kremlin's alleged inter- election interference, declined to give any further details on what was discussed with Trump officials, but said it was all part of normal diplomatic discourse. Hmm. He's one of the guys that uh, Jeff Sessions walked by and went, hey, how you doing? Shook his hand, and now he's like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell anyone about that. You ever had an hour-long handshake like that? Yeah. 
We didn't call it a handshake, though. It's uh, It was more of like a wrestling match. Okay. <clears throat> Interesting. Those are awkward, but it's true. In other news, uh, Taylor Swift, her new album was released last week. Yeah. Uh, I know you were excited, Oh, Matt. no, I totally um, bought it. The first day, uh-huh. her album sold 717,000 copies. This was a whole album, yes. not just one song. No, whole album. Wow. You can't buy it. I don't think it's available. It might be available digitally, but you have to buy the whole album. So Taylor Swift's new album sold more copies in its first day than any album has in a week this what? entire year. What is a what does an album cost today? What is it, like twenty bucks, twenty five bucks, maybe? Let's just do a little math here. Twenty no, times it's probably twelve. Is it more bucks. than that? Twenty times how digitally, much? twelve bucks. Twelve. Twelve times uh, how much? How many copies? Seven hundred seventeen thousand. Wow. Times twelve dollars. $8,604,000 in a week. A day. That was in one day. In one, one day. day. She had a good day. So she had more sales in a day than any album has sold in one week this year. Unbelievable. Swifty. And uh, interesting numbers coming out of Netflix. They what? found that more people are watching video outside their homes. About 67% of people now watch movies and TV shows in public according to an online survey that it commissioned of 37,000 adults around the world. Uh, the most popular public places to stream are? Yeah. Any guesses? Most po- popular places to stream would mm-hmm. be um, work. That's that's one of them, yeah. Uh, uh, restaurants. I don't see that here. No, no. Uh, I've done that. Um Parking lots. Oh, I've been there, done that. 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 Um, McDonald's parking lot. I would say home. For the free Wi-Fi. At home is probably the most popular place. But, yeah, but public places. Uh, so, where else would you... So it says planes, buses, or commuting. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, the survey found 26% of respondents also said they binge shows at movies and, uh, and movies while at work. Okay, right? yeah, so yeah, you, yeah. I've caught you watching yeah. at your desk. I wasn't watching it. I was just... Um, I was testing it. Right. People in the U.S. are more likely to stream from the office while users around the world were more likely to stream during their commutes. Uh So I guess around the world, they respect the office for work, where in the United States, we tend to slack off. Well, we think the office Um, is an extension of our bedroom. A small group, about 7% worldwide, said they've watched movies and TV shows in public restrooms. Hmm. Is to that say, what they're to say, doing? To say nothing of those who have streamed the, from the privacy of their own bathrooms. That's, That's why, why there's always yeah. somebody on the toilet whenever I go in there. Yeah. They're, they're not streaming. shy about it either. A fifth of respondents admit to crying while binging in public. Another 17% <laughs> were so engrossed in the TV show or movie they missed their stop on their commute. Uh, 45% said they caught someone spying on their screen, so someone kind of looking in from the side to see what they're watching. 11% said they had a, sh- a show spoiled after looking on another person's screen. Oh, really? So they peek over, like, oh, they see the end of an episode, and it's ruined. <laughs> 18% said they felt embarrassed about watching in public. Really? I'm telling you, a lot of those people are streaming from the McDonald's parking lot because of the free Wi-Fi. Yeah, but... I just be. did it yesterday. <laughs> wow, I just really? did it myself. We've got great Wi-Fi here at BYUB. We do. And so that's why you can go in there and just get totally lost in, you know, maybe streaming three or four episodes Hmm. just while you're in the restroom. My personal favorite, there's a show called Longmire. Mm. It's back today. Hold on. That last is your personal season. favorite? It's one of mine. There's it's like, the last season, too. Yeah. There's one of those. Where I just It's a show I go watch. 
It's a show I see it there. Oh, I'll go Isn't it I, about a sheriff in a, a sheriff, small town? He's a sheriff in Wyoming. It's kind of a modern day western. It's kind of interesting. Lou Diamond Phillips is on the show. He's your token Indian, basically. What? That's that's the role he plays. He doesn't that's come offensive. on and play. You can't it is, say that. but that's what he is. Shh. He's not. <laughs> he he's a Native American uh, sheriff, isn't he? No, he's he runs a bar. See, I can say Indian <laughs> because I have a Native American sister. Well, that yeah, that doesn't. So they're as much as my people as the the uh, Romans and. Greeks oh, wow. and Italians are your people. He's attacking your roots there, Matt. <laughs> the difference is... <laughs> so, yeah, watch Longmire. It's a good show. I have a bloodline. 7% of my blood. So if I cut my finger and spat, spattered blood on you, because I've been watching an FBI blood splatter show. Wow. Biohazard. 7% of that blood would be Italian-Greek. Okay, but... Uh, Slash Greek. I don't know which one. If you have somebody that's lived with you for basically your entire child life, childhood. Yeah, no, no doubt you love her to that's death. That's your sister. She is your sister fully, minus the blood, unless there's been blood blood splatter. You're a monster. So there you go, Matt. <sighs> You're not alone in watching in your office. Hey, I've got an idea for you guys. Hmm. Because I know you love your kids a lot. Um, there's, I like them a lot. There's a story about a mom who tossed out most of her kids' toys Hmm. and said it was the best thing they ever did. I love this story. Uh, She said, I bet your house is like my house. This is, by the way, on herfamily.com. And um, basically, you know, you get all these presents, all these presents on Christmas, and then you just keep packing up more and more presents, more junk in your house. So the bins were overflowing, so she just decided to get rid of all of them and pretty much – emptied her place and said it has been so much better for her family, so much better. She was in survival mode trying to keep everything put away. Mm. And now it's about creativity. The kids are more active doing other things. They're playing with the five toys they have Mm. and moved on. I'm trying to put a put a stop to more accumulation of these toys. We've they've got one of those little people Castles. Yeah. They've got a clip clop castle. A They've got a Barbie dollhouse. Oh, wow. But yet this year they want the PJ Masks headquarters. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And you look at it and it's like, okay, first of all, I don't want to spend sixty, seventy dollars on this it's piece of plastic. It's about love, not about money. Yeah, Come you on. don't love your kids. But Come how on. many fortresses do they need? As many as you can accumulate in your short childhood. Right. By twelve, it's a little awkward to have a fortress. By I mean, the way, we, we had the bucket of unless of it's the loose, GI Joe like command center. Yeah. Then you want that one? <laughs> we had the bucket of loose Lego pieces. Yes, yeah. I never had a Lego set in my entire life. They're just a bucket, of, and I was yeah. happy to have it. You're I was happy to have it. Yeah, and yeah, and I didn't. You love um, the ability to like. I had Matchbox cars. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. I gave those to my beautiful children as a, like a hand me down. Like these are like Dad's greatest possession. And they just dump them into a pile and didn't mm-hmm. protect them. Mm-hmm. See, I have, <sighs> I still have my Hot Wheels from when I was a kid. Yeah. I had like a collector's no, organizer totally. box okay, thing. Me too. And I just have kept that for some reason. My son saw it the other day and he's like, can I play with those? And I go, you don't play with these. These are works of art. These are from when I – he goes, <laughs> were they – they're toys though. Why don't you ever play with your toys? I'm like, eh, I, what? Oh, don't. Boy. And well, you can so, only look at them for 10 seconds at a time because yeah. then your eye – Oils get on them, and yeah, they deteriorate. We had a similar oh, really? effect. <laughs> we had a similar effect with my son by taking away the iPad for a while. 
Really? He gets a little Ooh. attached. He, yeah. he starts crying for no reason. Well, the reason is because we say you need to do your homework, not work, yeah. you know, not play with the iPad. And so we just took it away for about a week. That's a good lesson. And all of a sudden, he's playing with all the toys that he never plays with. Yeah. There's another stage, as he's grown, that we he was having some behavior issues, so we started taking toys away. And I was... By the way, which is better than your other discipline issue, way method. What, the pool noodle? Uh-huh. He loves the pool noodle. Um, the, the, it's it's safe say. because he has one also. It's not like it's just one-sided it's, here. It's pool noodle play. But we had like a clear box, a clear tote yeah. box, and I put his toys in it so he could see they were in it, but he couldn't get to them. So oh. it's kind of mean, but, you know. That's wow. huge. That's akin to an adult discovering that, oh, yeah, I have books that I can read. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to watch I'll, a TV show tonight. I'll, I'll watch him go grab a book. Because he's not going to watch yeah. a show, right? And he's like, well, I'm going to read a book. So are you guys, guys going to cut back? We have. Declutter, cut back. Like, I don't know if he gets to watch YouTube anymore. He watched the shows where people open That's toys. Great. And then he, <sighs> wanted, the worst. he wanted all the toys. And he was, Dad, I need to get this. It's it. It's it. And he'd tell yeah. us what store it was. Because in the video, the people would go to the store. Mm-hmm because they were paid to, purchase the item off the shelf, tell you where they got it, and say, hey, bring your parents down. That's how they found out about the PJ Masks headquarters. There you go. And then they play with See, it. Oh, and, wow. 50 million views. Oh, it's and crazy. what a weird addiction. Then your kid's like addicted to opening toys. So he just like goes to the mall and just sits in the aisle opening toys all morning. No, I think they'd have a different type of addiction. Oh, what? do you want to play with it? No, no, no. I just, I just want to watch you play with it. <laughs> so scary. What are we doing to our children? Anyway, check out that article on HerFamily.com about uh, the benefits of, of tossing everything. Get rid of the toys. Simplify. Bring it down to three, four maybe. Actually, they found uh, research at UCLA says it's going that, that decluttering will actually maybe do more for mom and dad. Then you don't have to keep up with the, the Joneses, but you also don't have to clean up like the Joneses. Crazy stuff. Hey, straight ahead, we're going to be learning about how to uh, close the gap between, you know, how good you are and how good you could be. Powerful stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you reach your potential. You know, when some people become the best, they hit cruise control. Yet even when you become the best, you still have room for improvement, right? Mark Sanborn, a leadership expert, is joining us today to share how we can reach our full potential. He's going to talk about his book, The Potential Principle, a proven system for closing the gap between how good you are and how good you can be. And uh, he's he's been out. He's written many books, I think eight books or so. And we're, we're honored to have you here, Mark. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. How are you? Excellent. Doing well. Thank you. This is, uh, I think all of us have this weird kind of sense that I really could do more. <laughs> I could be better at something. But is this, what's up with us? Are, are we are we afraid of our success? Are we, what leads us to not keep pushing for our highest potential? I think life interrupts. I think we all would like to get better, but we don't consciously make the choice to get better. Sometimes I'll speak to an audience and I'll say, if I were able to to tell you that today was the best your life would ever be, that from today forward, your life would be a little 
less good. You know, it would be you'd have uh, not make as much money. You wouldn't have as much fun. Your experiences wouldn't be as diverse. Your relationships would start to decline. And it wouldn't all happen tomorrow or next week or even next year. But the, today is the zenith. You know, it's the high point. Would you be happy? And, of course, nobody ever says, sure, that'd be fine. Yeah. I mean, it, we all subconsciously or consciously want to get better. But then I make the point, so what did you do this morning when you woke up to make sure that that didn't happen, that today was better than yesterday and that tomorrow will be better than today? And that's really what the, the book is about for people who are interested in being intentional about getting better. You know, n- nothing gets better accidentally uh, with age except wine. Wine, I guess, gets better accidentally yeah. with age. But the rest of us, we have to make a choice, and that's what the book's about. Is um, I guess it's natural to want it, and in fact, apparently, it seems like we, we aren't happy without the constant stretch to try to improve ourselves or our conditions at whatever level. It's social, emotional, spiritual, financial, whatever level. Um, is I guess the reality is, though, part of it is just you need the plan, right? You need to know how to do it uh, because it, it's not enough to just – kind of I've learned in my life to keep trying things. I also have to measure things, don't you? And you have to you kind of have to know where you are and you have to you have to set a goal, kind of a stretch, but then measure how you're doing and then still be educated on it. It's a lot of factors. There are, and you make two good points. The first is that, you know, you've got a couple intentionality with a plan and effort because just wanting to be better or do better by itself is of little value if you don't have a plan and you don't invest in that plan. But the other thing is it is good to measure. You know, not everything can be measured as easily or or as as quantitatively as some things. Right. I still think we have uh, a sense of just our basic happiness. If I said, you know, today, what's your energy compared to yesterday on a scale of 1 to 10 – you could tell me that wouldn't be a scientific measurement, but it would tell me whether or not you had more energy today than yesterday, less, or that you were doing just the same. And I think that sometimes we miss the point that just because you can't measure something precisely doesn't mean we shouldn't track it, and it doesn't mean that there wouldn't be benefit in paying attention to whether we're making progress or regress. Does it, does it matter, Mark, if uh, the impetus, the push to be better and reach my potential comes from inside me or from outside me, uh, external factors or internal factors? Well, I think ultimately even external factors have to turn into internal factors or it won't work. You know, people sometimes ask me, can I make my employees do this? And I say, I've got a teenage son. I can't make take out the garbage. So <laughs> don't ask me about how to make somebody do something. Yeah. Now, I can incentivize him, and I can create a situation where he uh, will choose to take out the garbage, but at the end of the day, that's his choice. And I think that being coerced into doing anything, you may do it, but you won't do it to the level uh, of your ability. You won't do it happily. You won't do it well. Uh, I, I think that employers need to give people both the, uh, you know, the, the want to and the how to, but if if people aren't internalizing that, if you really don't want to get better, I can't make you get better. It's America. You know, anyone that wants to can choose to be mediocre. Anybody that wants to pursue success can pursue success. 
So I think the best motives are always internal motives, even if they may start from encouragement or recognition or some some training from uh, outside uh, sources. Where did you, um, you know, what? Where did you get these ideas? I, I know you've got great clients: Costco, uh, Harley Davidson, ESPN, Cisco, IBM. Um, so you consult with them and work with them. What drove you to specifically write this book on living up to our true potential? Well, I've always been interested in that topic, both as a practitioner and as someone who teaches it. I've been lucky because I've been able to combine what I've learned from a lot of great clients and a lot of successful people I've met over the years with the systems that I used for myself. Um, you know, I try always to, to practice what I teach. I don't think there's much upside to writing a book about something that you yourself don't either believe and in or use. But I, I would say it's a combination of those two things. Um, I've just had a, a lot of input from a lot of uh, great people and great organizations. And I, I noticed what I did is I put it into kind of a comprehensive plan. It's not the only plan. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get better. But I wanted to basically write a book for people who are already doing pretty well. Because, you see, if you're not doing well, getting better is pretty easy. But if you're doing well, getting better is a little harder. If you're doing great, getting better is even harder. Hmm. Which is to say, the better we become, the harder it is to get better. Hmm. I'm not a golfer, but a lot of my friends are, and I certainly understand the sport, even if I don't play it. Uh, You know, when you start golfing, if you stick to it, get good coaching and good advice, and you practice a lot, you'll get better. But if you've been playing for 20 years and you've got a really low handicap and you've really done well, then any improvement is going to be much harder fought and much more nuanced and take a lot more attention and probably a lot more effort. So I, I wrote this book for anybody, but really who I had in mind were those people who are already doing pretty well, but maybe had you know kind of depleted their traditional avenues for how to get better, and I wanted to introduce some new ideas. What are um, like so? What are the what are some of the principles, the components that that uh, drive us to to live up to our potential? What are some of the big uh, universals that that we need to make sure we're focusing on? In the book, I talk about the potential matrix because I learned in working with people in lots of different professions that, you know, there's the inner world and the outer world. And some people do really well in the outer world and they develop the skill set that makes them successful, but they sometimes bump up against that big existential question, why? You know, why am I doing this? What's my greater purpose? Uh, And they kind of lack the inner world development because they focused a lot on the outer world. And then, you know, I work with people who might be uh, pastors or uh, lead paraministries or philanthropists. And by and large, you know, they have a, a really highly developed inner world. But sometimes the way you help them is teaching them some of those outer world skills that so many business people are familiar with. So I noticed that, you know, there was this kind of sometimes disconnect between inner world and outer world. And that was my vertical uh, axis. And then my horizontal axis was what I called... Uh, um, you know, responding, well, I should say my, my uh, vertical axis was inner world, outer world, and my horizontal was responding or initiating. So that is to say that if you seek something, you are initiating. If something uh, comes to you, you're responding. Hmm. So in the upper right-hand corner, if you look at the outer world of, uh, of initiating, you have performing, which we talked about. That's yeah. easy to see. Then in the lower right-hand corner, if you have the uh, outer world of responding, you're responding to ideas. It's called learning. And you say, well, Mark, doesn't learning take effort? Well, of course it does, but you can't learn 
what isn't there to be learned. In other words, you learn from a teacher, you learn from a book, you learn from a seminar. In other words, you have to pursue those ideas, but those ideas uh, are already there, and you're responding to what you learn from them. That's and if you so go in true. The inner world, yeah. yeah. If you go in the inner world, in the upper left-hand corner, you have thinking. You know, you, you initiate thought. You say, hmm, what's my day going to be like? Wow, where am I going to have dinner tonight? Uh, what am I going to buy my spouse for her or his birthday? And that's the inner world of initiating. But then down in the, in the lower left-hand corner, you have the inner world of responding that I call reflecting. And reflecting is a, a process by which ideas come to you, insights come to you. And, yeah, occasionally they come to you in the shower. I know every once in a while, for reasons I don't understand, I have a really good idea when I least expect it. But if you really want to consistently have good ideas, you need to not slow down but stop so that good ideas can, can come to you. They can bubble up from your unconscious or they can become insights from outside yourself. And, of course, it doesn't have to be a religious uh, quadrant, but for many it's prayer, it's meditation. Uh, for others it's simply introspection. But the big message is we all have a, a quadrant we prefer. I personally, I, I'm kind of a, a fan of the thinking quadrant. You know, hmm. give me a stack of books and an Internet connection, and I'm a happy guy all day long. But you can't just get by using your preferences because a, a strength overused becomes a liability. So the big message is, number one, develop each of those four quadrants. Become a better performer. Become a better thinker. Become a better learner. Become a better reflector. And then number two, the second big message is use them to complement each other. Uh, before your next performance, think about, hey, what might I do to make this sales call better than the last? And maybe you realize there's a new skill you need to learn. You need to go online, watch a video, read a book. And so you move into the learning quadrant. Then you, you make the sales call. It goes pretty well. But afterwards, you reflect on, hmm, what might have gone better? And so you can see how movement between all four of those quadrants leverages and enhances the results you achieve. That is, it really is powerful. And because you, you can see how you could be a thinker, a reflector, and that might very come naturally to you because you're a very kind of inwardly directed person. But then your ideas, I guess, never get taken outward. You never well, you, make a call. Yeah. You never get out there. You never share your learning. Yeah, if, if all you do is perform without knowing why you perform, you're an actor. And I, I mean in the sense of you're going through the motions, but it's not authentic. And yeah. if all you do is, uh, if all you do is uh, reflect, uh, you know, you're a navel gazer, right? You know, you sit at the top of the mountain, right? The yeah. old cliche of the cartoon. If all you do is think, you're a daydreamer. You know, you hear people say that. He's just a daydreamer. He's caught up in his head. And if all you do is learn... Uh, you become a perpetual grad student. I'm not. Don't get mad. Yeah, yeah. You're a grad student. Yeah. I'm just talking about the grad student that never, never leaves college. Right? Never finds an output for all that he or she learned. That is. And so, uh, I guess too, the other thing that is pretty important to understand is: um, Are you better at initiating ideas or just kind of responding to things? And we talk about this in broadcasting as well. Like, are you a generator? Are you somebody that generates? the uh, the concept and the idea and can make something funny? Or are you somebody that plays better off of another person? So initiating versus responding and being an outwardly driven person or an inwardly. This is, I mean, it seems like, you know, this is the convergence of multiple, uh, you know, sciences. Well, it, it certainly is. And, and I, you know, metaphors can be risky. <laughs> we talk about firing on all eight cylinders. In this case, if you think of each quadrant as a cylinder, you're firing on all four. But I really think that we get tripped up by staying in the, the place we're most comfortable 
and most engaged. And, and even though lately there's been a lot written about, you know, don't, don't ever build on your strengths. You don't become great building on your strengths. That's true. You become great by building on your, on, on, your, or on your weaknesses. You don't become great building on your weaknesses. You become great building on your strengths. Yeah. But what I think we miss is, is weaknesses can debilitate our strengths. In other words, if, if you're really strong in one area, but you have other weaknesses that are holding you back, no matter how much you develop that strength, those weaknesses will keep you from achieving your potential. Right. And I guess, too, part of that is then recognize, then use these other skills like reflecting and thinking and learning to recognize what your weaknesses are and then either use your strength to fix them or go fix your weakness. I mean, there, there's – or go add other, other tools of learning. The model uh, is powerful. Is it – do you see that this can be um, coached? I mean, you coach it to corporate America, a lot of driven people. But I'm assuming these same principles work just with family and with our kids. Sure. Truth is transferable. I always tell people, you know, that the only thing that changes is the context and the application. But truth is true across time, is true across culture. Uh, and what we have to find out is, you know, how, how to do that. For instance, uh, when, I'm, when I'm working with uh, leaders and I'm talking about what kind of leader do you want to be, because a lot of leaders never consciously choose what kind of leader they become. Yeah. They just kind of become by default. And what I'll do is, is I learned a long time ago from another trainer, is I have them write down four leaders that they truly admire. They could be living, they could be deceased, they could be historical, it doesn't matter. And I ask them to identify two or three characteristics about each of those leaders that they truly admire. And then what happens is they discover patterns, you know, they mm. discover they discover things that are appealing and sometimes the characteristics repeat or sometimes they're synonyms. But then I'll just take it a step further and say, you know, if you're a parent, why not some time for fun, sit down with your, uh, your, your son or daughter and say, hey, write down your three or four best friends at school. What do you like about them? And what you'll do is you'll introduce the same thought process where then kids can become more intentional and go, you know what, I like Jill, she's just so happy all the time. And uh, maybe, maybe I need to be happier. Or, you know, you know Billy's thoughtful. And so the, the truth is transferable. You can use it as, as well at home with your kids as you can at work. That is so cool. Um, when, uh, what do you say to the person that maybe over, is overthinking their lack of uh, – increase and in, in in, in growth in their own potential. And maybe they end up actually overthinking it so much, they end up becoming um, upset, depressed, frustrated by the fact that they're just not good enough. Any advice for those? Well, yeah. And, and I think the first thing is to, to just remind everyone, it's not about being good enough. You know, we're inherently, we inherently have value because we're human beings. Uh, this isn't about proving to the world. You know, sometimes, by the way, that is a, a great motivator. I, I know there were, as a, as a kid that was overweight and didn't do well in sports, you know, when I found something I excelled in, like speaking, I probably was motivated to prove, you know, that I had abilities beyond my lack of ability in yeah. athletics. But I think for an adult, what we have to remember is two things. Number one is uh, we benefit just in the effort because I really don't believe uh, we don't get better when we do these things, even if we don't get the raise, don't land the new job, don't launch the successful company. Just the attempt makes us better if we're paying attention. Hmm. So we become uh, better people, win, lose, or, or draw. 
The other thing that's important to kind of remember, and it's become clear to me as I've gotten older, is, you know, there are no guarantees in life. You can do it all right and still get it wrong. And I know some people that have done a lot of stupid stuff and succeeded despite yeah. themselves. Yeah. You know, if you raise kids, how is it that, you know, you can raise uh, one kid turns out great and the other kid not so great? Or how can a kid from a broken home become a, a spectacular achiever and a kid from a, a fine home become uh, homeless? Right. I don't know. You know, those are outliers, right? Those are anomalies. But but what I think we want to do every day is, A, we want to stack the odds in our favor. You know, I get my... I get my wife a cup of Starbucks every morning. If I'm in town, I go, I pick it up. If I'm out of town, I get uh, some before I leave and put them in the fridge so she can warm them up. Hmm. And those are what I call my husbandly points, right? She likes mochas. And so I make my husbandly points every morning because I'm trying to stack the odds in my favor. Yeah. Uh, you know, now, sometimes I burn through those points by by noon, you know. Yeah, I mean? doing something stupid, right. <laughs> right. It isn't It isn't the sum total of our relationship, but you want to do the little things that count. And I think that, that we also have to remember, I don't know why we forget, life, as far as I can tell, was never meant to be fair, at least in a fallen right. world. I, I read, who, who is the, uh, the fellow that gave the, the make your bed? Uh, he was, um, he's the president of a university now, but he was a Ex Seal, and he wrote a wonderful uh-huh. book based yeah. around his commencement speech. Yeah, yeah. Oh, his who name escapes. Me. I'll go look it up while you're talking. All right. Well, he he has a great story in the book when he was in Navy Seal training. If you did something wrong, they they uh, sugar cookied you, which meant uh, you had to go get wet and roll around in the sand and spend the rest of the day right running around in the sand. Yeah, with sand stuck to your body, which frankly hurts me just to think about it. I just, I hate that feeling, right? Yeah. And and one day his commanding officer told him to go you know, sugar cookie himself, and he got in the water and rolled around and got the sand on him, and he said, you know, Commander, why? I didn't do anything wrong. And the commander goes, I just wanted to remind you life isn't always fair. <laughs> <laughs> William McCraven's his name, Admiral yeah. Navy Admiral William McCraven. What a great story. You know, it's like, what a great lesson. It's, oh, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. Nope. Just life isn't fair. That's so good. I mean, so, so that, that may be reminded him later when, you know, he came out of a, a, a meeting with a professor at his university and the professor was unkind. Yeah, he got sugar cookie, not because of anything he did but because life isn't fair. That's right. Take that. Well, we appreciate you, Mark. This is great stuff. The book is The Potential Principle, a proven system for closing the gap between how good you are and how good you could be. Uh, Really, folks, just powerful insight. Learning more, more and more about ourselves. Elevate our game. Doesn't mean we need to be perfect. Let's blow up that myth. Uh, Let's just be the best we can be and try again tomorrow. We're all worth it anyway. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. We'll be talking to Jeff Simpson about uh, his upcoming show, uh, Screen Cleaning, as well as uh, do a little empty news. Welcome back. This you look a, confused. I'm confused because is this is this because you're leaving to go to Disneyland? No, I wish. You're not going to Disneyland. I wish. You know, and uh, the reason I'm playing this is because there's a girl that really wanted to go to Disneyland, so she took matters into her own hands. She did? What? Yes. So this is a nine-year-old girl uh, lives in the, in the United Kingdom. She surprised her family by booking a trip to Disneyland Paris, much to her dad's chagrin. No way. 
Just so, like on Amazon. According to the Mirror, uh, Ian Wilson was sleeping soundly when his nine-year-old daughter Susan grabbed his phone and began searching around online. Okay? Oh, that boy. happens every day with yeah. our kids, right? Yeah. She ended up on PayPal, and after a little bit of guesswork, she managed to figure out his password and make her way into his account. Wow, Dad. What? And then once she figured out how to get access to the money uh, in the PayPal account, Susan figured it was time to do a little shopping for a luxurious family vacation to Disneyland Paris. Now, I know that you've mentioned in yeah. Christmas's past, you've woken the kids up yeah. and have said, surprise, the, the gift this year Santa is we're going to Disneyland. Let's Disneyland. hop in the That's car, it. Exactly. right? It was the greatest ever. See, this doesn't seem like it would bother me too much. Well, Maybe my wife, I would look at my wife and say, ah, there, there's nothing we can do. I guess we just got to go. Uh, we better go. And she's like, well, we can cancel it. No, they, Save all they, don't, the money. they don't let you. There's just a very small window of time. Yeah. So eventually PayPal offered a goodwill gesture and said that it was a, a, simply a matter of friendly fraud and refunded all of the money to the family. Oh, is that what they call it? Friendly fraud. Friendly fraud. That's a nice name. <laughs> as uh, as Ian slept, Susan managed to spend quite a bit of money. Let me give you some of the numbers here. $525 on flights and a gift card to a hotel. <laughs> $515 on tickets to Disneyland Paris theme park tickets and the Disneyland Express train. As well as uh, $281 on a VIP, uh, VIP family tour of the Eiffel Tower. Wow. And what kind of seats would a nine-year-old book? She wanted all middle seats because that way you're the safest. Well, yeah, maybe she was maybe she was a little budget conscious yeah. and she booked all the middle seats. <laughs> That's with, cute. With that, less leg room. Someday that she will be running probably, you know, a travel agency. I'm not kidding. If this happened in my family, I part of me would just be like, I guess we gotta go. Okay, but what does that tell you about you? That I'm a kid inside still? Exactly. You're just a great big grown kid with a beard. I'm trying to find a way to get back there, even though I'm going to be 10 minutes away. Get in there. Just hop the fence. Well, I mean, in a. Hmm. I mean, I, I didn't mean hop the fence. I meant, like, metaphorically. Oh, okay. I thought you were giving another example of friendly fraud. Friendly fraud. Hop in the fence at Disneyland. Yeah. So that's fun. That's cool. Um, here's another interesting one. A man accused of stealing a motorized shopping cart from an Alaska grocery store didn't get very far or go very fast before his low-speed getaway attempt was foiled yeah. by police. He's just, okay, so he's like, I'm out of here. They're probably just laughing <laughs> the whole time they're walking up next to him. So here's how fast it was going. Uh, battery-operated cart. Yeah. It's got a basket mounted behind the handlebars. You know, that probably slows it down a little too. Yeah, totally. Especially if you have your groceries in there. Yeah, and the wind, yeah, the wind, it's not wind resistant anymore. Top speed of 1.9 miles per hour. That's slower. Hold it. That's slower than the little battery operated cars you get your kids. Yeah. You could roll on the ground faster than that. It's crazy. So his name is uh, Rondel Tony Chinook or Chinook of Anchorage. He's charged with felony theft. For attempting to take the cart early Tuesday from a Safeway store in Fairbanks, police say they stopped Chinook while he was crossing a thoroughfare following a 10-minute joyride that oh. consisted mostly of trying to leave the expansive store parking lot. Well, was he just a young punk or is he an, uh, an elderly man that needs the cart? I'm looking for an age here. Probably I don't, don't have th- it. 32. Ah, okay. 32. Well, maybe he has yeah. other issues. <laughs> So you're probably feeling pretty good right about now. Yeah, I, I love this time of day because I'm I'm almost done. 
Well, I'm done for the week because then I turn it over to you for the next hour. You're minutes away from what's, screen cleaning. What's coming up on screen cleaning? Well, there is a truckload of films that we have to somehow try to review with Rod Gustafson. Wow. We've got some of the best entertainment news in months. Because lately there's kind of been a lot of crummy news with yeah, all yeah. these allegations yeah. and everything. We've got some fantastic news to share. Really? Including uh, maybe a way to save you money going to the movies. Really? Including a movie version of one of a lot of people's favorite uh, childhood television shows. Okay. This could be good. Yeah. So this is uh, straight ahead on screen cleaning. Jeffrey Liam Simpson will take over the – now, when I hand you the reins, I, I always get a little worried. Really? Not because you can't handle them. I'm not worried because uh, uh, I know all the names of all the reindeer, and you can't even remember the name of my show. I know your show. Screen cleaning. Screen cleaning. Very dot, good. Dot com forward slash. Um, <laughs> okay, good stuff. Uh, stick around. We're going to come back, and McKenna Bouse will be in the house, do a little mind bender with us. And then we're then I'm off, folks. I'm done for the week, but I'll be back again Monday to uh, bring you the joy and lift all of our lives. <laughs> it's a hard lift for all of us, isn't it? But it's life, and we're making it work. Uh, up next, McKenna Bouse. Welcome back, friends. McKenna Bouse is in the house. She's one of our great producers, and uh, today she she always likes to bring little little latest latest research, little mind benders to stretch us a bit. What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about some new techniques that are being. Uh, implemented to improve air quality and decrease the amount of CO2 really? in the atmosphere. So yeah. just like being installed everywhere or what are they? So traditionally the mindset has been let's cut carbon emissions, yeah. try and put less in the air. And that's definitely something we still need to yeah. work on. But what is happening is people are – companies are building these machines that they install in city centers, areas with high air pollution – and the machines basically sort of charge the air and suck in all the CO2 and then do different things with it. It's like an air it. freshener for a city. Exactly. It's like an air freshener, an air filter, but huge scale. Oh, interesting. So if we can't cut down the emissions, let's just put really big air fresheners everywhere and CO2 uh, emitters, whatever they call them. Grabbers. Uh, CO2 grabbers. Grabbers. We'll call them that. That's cool. Okay. That seems like a huge thing. So, I mean, you've got the earth mm-hmm. and you've got really huge air filters. And hopefully it's going to make a difference. Yeah. What's really cool is they're finding positive ways to then take this CO2 and do something with it because obviously yeah. it has to go somewhere. What do you do with CO2? So for one of the companies called Climeworks, what they're doing is they are harvesting the CO2 and then commercially selling it to farmers who can use it to feed their plants. Oh, wow. And get better growth yields, bigger vegetables, things like that. So they're taking what we would see as pollution, basically. And putting it where it's useful. By giving Um, it to the plants. Well, I mean, tell me, by the way, cows have been polluting and it's been useful to plants forever. Yeah, there you go. And so now they're just doing it on a large scale. On the air scale. And other companies, there's one in – there's one of these machines in China built by this um, Dutch man and his company that collects the CO2 and then takes all that carbon, pushes it together and creates jewelry. What? What are you wearing? Oh, a CO2 watch. Yeah. 
That's crazy. That's cool. It's really And by the way, that gives some hope, right? So we cut down on emissions as much as we can. And then in the bigger polluting areas, we put these – These in to these, help. These businesses. And even – and you're actually recycling. Exactly. CO2. I mean we're always recycling something, right? But you're speeding it up. That's right. McKenna Bouse, you did it again. You done blown our mind. Hey, folks, that's it for me. I'm out. Uh, screen cleaning's up next with Jeff Simpson. holiday season there are so many new movies to choose from but choose wisely because while some movies may show you the time of your life others may leave you wishing you were never born submitted for the approval of faithful listeners everywhere i call this story screen cleaning Just a little nod to one of the greatest children's television television programs of all time. I don't think there's any arguing that, so we won't even say arguably. This is Screen Cleaning with Jeff Simpson. I've got Cole Wissinger here. He's also a huge fan of that show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Absolutely. You are afraid of the dark? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, terrified. <laughs> and I'm excited because in, in a few minutes here, we're going to be speaking with Rod Gustafson, who is a Canadian. And this show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? was uh, was filmed in Canada. It's a Canadian show. Do you know this? I mean, there's a lot of shows that are filmed in Canada. Canada pretending to be Southern California. Canada pretending to be the Midwest. It's usually Seattle. To... Yeah. Vancouver. It fits well. Yeah. So uh, the reason we did that little open there is because every week we try to give you the very best in entertainment news. And part of the best of entertainment news from the last week happens to do with this show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Tell me which more. Which debuted on Nickelodeon, right? And was a part of Snick at Night. Oh, man. Good times. I forget that you and I are closer in age than you might think, Jeffrey, until That's things right. like this come out. That's right. So, uh, would you be happy to know that there's yes. going to be a film version of Absolutely. Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, so in every way. I read that the writers of the film It, the new version, uh, as well as Annabelle, uh, will be behind this movie, at least the writing of this film. Okay. So, which could make it pretty scary because yes. those, It, for a lot of people, is really, really scary. A couple proven horror franchises. I mean, the. The Conjuring Absolutely. franchise, as R-rated as it is, and so we don't normally talk about it, That's it's turning into a modern horror kind of blockbuster. You can count on it. You yeah. Know? The four Absolutely. movies into it now. So uh, our next little piece of good news here, we have some royal, the best royal news for you. We all know that uh, Star Wars is coming out in less than a month, December 15th, Star Wars Episode Eight. Yes. And there are going to be a couple of people that you may not recognize, but they're making a cameo in this film. And we say it's our best royal news because it's actually Prince William and Prince Harry will be stormtroopers in episode eight. That's fun. This is going to make my wife very happy, by the way. So they had Daniel Craig as a stormtrooper in the last one, right? That was the... That's true. Mm -hmm. He had a line, but I just don't think you could see him. (laughs) How great is that? 
And uh, oh, so be looking, be on the lookout for them. I'm sure you'll be able to go online after the fact, and somebody will tell you which ones they were. So Jeffrey, yes. If you were royalty, mm-hmm. what movie would you just show up to the director and say, "Hey, I would like in this"? That is a fantastic. What franchise would you insert yourself into question. with all the power that royalty brings? Uh, maybe the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, gosh. I don't know that there are any franchises anymore that I'm so thrilled about more than the Dark Knight trilogy. Not even the current DC sad. trilogy that uh, has a new oh, installment? Absolutely not. Coming out today? They may give me a cameo on that, but then they would just CGI the heck out of me, you know? CGI away a mustache, maybe? Yeah. What are, what are you trying to say? Nothing. You're, I'm the, just one, trying you're to the one tease. with the mustache. I'm trying to tease what's happening next. Oh, okay. It's good radio, Jeff. I thought you were making fun of me because I may or may not have some facial hair. Anyway, we'll move on from that. One more piece of really great news. Cole, this will make you excited. We've been hearing about this movie pass where you can pay $10 a month to go see as many movies as you want. Asterisks. Um, You can see one movie a day, basically, and you can't see the same movie twice. $10 a month. But now, I don't know if you got this email, they're offering a new... uh, Pricing plan. You ready for this? Okay. It is $90 a year. It's a one-time payment, so you get to see a movie, as many movies as you want, every month for $7 a month. Even better. Even better. And then I think there's like a small processing fee of six fifty. Because they need a little cash flow right now. Sure. <laughs> so if, you, if $10 is too steep to go see as many movies as you want every month in the movie theaters, how about 7 bucks a month? That's fantastic news. And now this is an option that you can use if you want to buy it as a gift card for somebody else. Before, it's like, yeah, I could buy it for them as a gift card, but then they are responsible for conti- for continuing the payments after that. So this way. Right in time for the holiday season. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And that's, yeah, even $10 is the best deal in the world because when I went to get my ticket for Justice League last night, the thing showed up. It's an adult weekend showing around here. That's normally ten twenty-five. So by going to see one movie, I've already saved 25 cents. That's fantastic. Every other movie's Wait, gravy. when are you seeing it? I saw it last night. <gasps> Ooh. Okay. I prepare myself for this show, Jeffrey. All You're right. I did not see it. Um... But we are going to speak with somebody who has seen it here coming up in a couple of minutes. His name is Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. He's a friend of ours here on Screen Cleaning. And uh, he's seen a few other films that we're definitely going to want to hear about. Finally, a couple of, well, at least one kid's film and maybe one uh, film for slightly older kids that we're going to talk about. All right. Super exciting. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. Once again, it's time to class up the joint here on Screen Cleaning. We uh, go to one of our good friends, Rod Gustafson, from Canada, and I'm curious to know if he's heard of the children's television show, Are You Afraid of the Dark?, which is being made into a motion uh, feature-length film. Are Are you there, Rod? Have you heard of that show? I am here, and you know what? I... <laughs> 
it, it vaguely sounds familiar to me. That was a long time ago. I mean, that was way back in what, in the early the 1990s 90s. or something? Yeah, but it's yeah, a Canadian yeah. show, Rod. And you, well, you know, all my kids were little back then, and I remember that was about the time the Goosebumps books were coming out. Oh, and, right. Okay, so surprise, surprise, Mr. and Mrs. Parent Previews, myself and my wife Donna, we weren't very, you know, like horror stuff for kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember the day, like Donna, my wife, actually really enjoys Star Trek, and she remembers the day that our, our little, I think he was about six years old, he came downstairs when he should have been in bed and mom's watching Star Trek and he, he promptly turned the TV off and he said, mom, that's a killing show. So, ah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's the Gustafson family. So no, I do not remember. Are you afraid of the dark? All right. We'll look for that in movie form. It's, it'll be coming yeah. out, I'm sure in the next year or two. Um, so Rod, we, it's, this is a tough week because we have so much to talk about and so little time. Uh, uh, so I, what I want to do first is I want to hear your thoughts on the new film, Justice League. There's a lot that's been said about this film. It doesn't look good on Rotten Tomatoes. And yet what I'm here, the general consensus seems to be it's not terrible. And so far, it looks like the audience loves it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not surprised that the audience is enjoying it. OK, as you as you guys well know, I am not Mr. Comic Book uh, <laughs> professional here or anything. No, but no comic book, is, no horror. Check, check. OK, got it. And I, I find that the uh, I find the DC uh, franchise, as opposed to the Marvel franchise, is a little more, shall we say, like hardcore trying to appeal to the comic book people. Mm-hmm. But this one actually opens it up a little bit more. And I think that's how comic I enjoyed it a bit more. This is actually a, a pretty good film. Picks up at the end of Batman v Superman that came out. Oh, I don't know what was that a couple of years ago or something. Sure. And Superman dies at the end of that. Well, now that Superman is dead, guess what? There's a new bad guy that's ready to come to Earth and take over. And his name is Steppenwolf. And he's seeing this little void uh, on on the planet Earth without Superman here. He's thinking, well, now is a good time to go and, and uh, destroy the planet or whatever these bad guys do. I mean, this is the biggest problem with all these movies, and this one especially, it's these off-the-shelf bad guys. And I mean, Steppenwolf, I don't know if you remember, seeing as we're talking Canada today, they Born to be Wild, great Canadian rock and roll band called oh, Steppenwolf, yeah. and they had that song. Yeah, so, so most of us in the theater where I was at, they were going, oh yeah, Steppenwolf, I remember that song, yeah. but this has nothing to do with that. So anyway, um, no, this is actually, it's a, it's a pretty fun film. Um, the violence, I mean, is going to be greatest concern probably for most parents, but it, it's dialed back a little bit from some of the Marvel movies and, and well, not Marvel, I'm sorry, DC comic books movies, and especially some of the PG-13 action movies that you'll see. Biggest concern with this film, though. And this, I've got to ask, why, why, why? The wonderful Wonder Woman movie that came out earlier this year. And when, and I mean, Wonder Woman's always dressed in a way that I, I chuckle, like, how come the men don't have to go to work sure. dressed like that? Yeah. But in this movie, somebody has made the decision to take all those Amazon women and remove about 50% of their costumes, which I'm really disappointed. What? Now, yeah. And so here we get into the deal again. This movie, there there was a big issue with the director because the original director of the movie had a serious family emergency right. and he had to drop out halfway through. They brought in another guy. But either way, 
Wonder Woman was very much um, directed and created by women, this one by men. And so there's a lot of controversy. How come the women have to wear so fewer clothes in the movie that's made by men versus the movie made by women? And I totally agree. I'm wondering that, too. So that's my yeah. biggest beef about it, but still giving it a B grade. It's interesting because it seems like even uh, even in the comic and in the early portrayal of of Wonder Woman on TV – it seems like she's always kind of been scantily clad. Yes, yes. So, yeah, which I, which you know, I, this is an ongoing thing that we talk about a lot at parent previews is the way women are presented and the way men are presented. And in many of these action films, you know, the women are strong and they're tough and they're able to do amazing things just like the men are, but they never can dress for the job, so to speak, which is really yeah. kind of comically strange. But maybe not comically, and especially when you look at the A to B difference. If you go on Twitter, many people are tweet are tweeting photos from these two movies comparing the costumes. Oh, and wow. It really is night and day. Wow. Well, interesting. So probably not one to take the really young kids to, especially no. if, yeah, okay. So, no, but, you know, and having said all of that, there actually are some positive moments in this film. I'm sorry that that issue is detracting <laughs> from an otherwise reasonably good movie. Yeah. So, Rod, there are a couple of other films that I, that I want us to get to, uh, The Star and um, Wonder. And both mm-hmm. of these are, are films that I, I'm kind of interested in seeing, The Star more for my kids and Wonder just because it looks like a good, uplifting film. And I'm wondering, let's start with Wonder, is that something that you can take really young kids to? You know what? Wonder is possibly the best movie I've seen this year. It wow. may be on my nomination list for Best Picture, even though I don't think the studio is gunning for awards. Now, both Wonder and The Star are coming from Walden Media, which is a company I really admire. They really try and bring good things to theaters. Wonder, though, is a film that just goes over and above. It really does. Now, this film is starring Owen Wilson uh, and Julia Roberts, Jacob Tromble, who is just an amazing actor playing the young boy who is the principal. He's the protagonist in this film. Uh, And this is the story of a young boy who is born with a severe facial deformity, has to go through many operations and surgeries uh, to, to try and not only look aesthetically more pleasing, but to get his nose and his mouth working properly and everything else. And this is a story of what he goes through at school This is very much a film about bullying, but it's a very, very different film than many of the others that have addressed this topic. And what I love about this one is it looks at the perspective of many other people, not just the young child who is facing the bullying. It looks at the perspective of the person doing the bullying and other kids. It looks at his sister and how all the attention is going on her brother and none of the attention is going on her. It's a fantastic film. I can count on my fingers how many movies I've said should be shown in every classroom from about sixth grade forward. This one's incredible. The other thing I appreciate about this movie is there is no sexual content in it. There are two very minor uses of terms of deity in this film. Otherwise, there is no profanity in it. It is a moving, wonderful, and very educational film uh, that leaves you leaving the theater. You know, I walked out, I went into the grocery store, and I I just found I was looking at people differently. You think about what is motivating people, and uh, 
an amazing, amazing film. So is it something that I can show to my three to five-year-old? Because these are lessons that I want them to learn at some point. I'm just wondering if this is the right time for that. Um, you know, a three-year-old, I would probably say no, first of all. I mm-hmm. think they're going to have a hard time sitting through it. But yeah. I think with parental guidance, that overused term, but really should happen with so many movies, I would say probably six and okay. over you could would probably be where I would – because it's dealing with some pretty complex interpersonal issues. There may be some scenes that are scary. Uh, There are going to be some scenes that are going to leave kids crying and certainly left the adults in tears in my audience. It's a very moving, powerful movie. So, Rod, just in the couple of minutes we have left, I want to talk about uh, The Star. This is another one we're looking at taking our kids to, but my wife is kind of worried that maybe it's a little sacrilegious. (laughs) Well, you know what? The star is... So, okay, this is the story of the nativity, okay? It's the story of of the Christ child being born and and the wise men and all of those things. So, first of all, do not come to this movie uh, if you are expecting it to replay the Bible, because there is a lot of artistic license that's taken (laughs) in it. Um, At the same time, you know what? It's it's got a good heart. It's a fine movie. uh, And again... Parental involvement, I think, is important because this may introduce a very important, uh, a very important Christian principle to many children who aren't even familiar with it, and then allow parents to talk about that a bit more. Or, as the old saying goes, they can go home and read the book, which is probably the good, a good thing to do. But it's a good movie. I found it to be. I don't know, a little bit tedious, a little bit silly at times, but they never felt like it crossed the line and was sacrilegious. They, again, is coming from Walden Media, and I find that they are... um they're usually pretty they're usually very good at creating appropriate scenarios and that type of thing. So there's some silliness in here, but um, as I say, it doesn't cross the line. Just don't expect this to to read like your Bible does. It, there is a lot of artistic license going on. Well, Rod, we really appreciate your time here on Screen Cleaning, and uh, go check out parentpreviews.com where you can check out Rod's reviews of these films, as well as another film which I loved, I would have loved to have talked to, uh, to him about Murder on the Orient Express, which I know he saw or his wife saw. Uh, go check out his review for that and just another option for your uh, viewing pleasure this holiday season. You know, the star might take some creative liberties when telling the story of Christ's birth. And uh, coming up next with our special guest, uh, Scott Metzger, we'll be gauging the historical accuracy of some other films. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning. You know, movies have always been a way to disseminate information and ideas throughout the world. And this year, there were three Best Picture nominations that were considered historical movies. But are movies the best way for us to learn about history? Well, here to speak to us more on that subject is Scott Metzger, who's an associate professor of social education at Penn State University. And he's also the co-author of the book, Teaching History with Film. Scott, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I was really excited uh, when I when I found out we we're going to be speaking with you because I remember, you know, in junior high and high school, my teachers showing us all sorts of films and never really knowing if they were 
if there was a purpose for them showing it or if it was just an off day for them. <laughs> I uh, And, you know, it's a tough thing to do in schools anyway because I remember we watched uh, a portion of Roots and uh, my teacher put this big piece of, of construction paper over the screen when there was a scene of nudity. So it's it can be a tough thing to do in schools as well. Um, I'm curious to find out if if you think that movies are the best way to teach us about history. Well, I certainly wouldn't say the best way. Um, I, I believe that there isn't really one best way with any kind of technique. I would rather put it as movies are potentially one more tool that teachers can have to help students learn more about history, um, certainly to become maybe more excited, more engaged in it. But it's not an easy tool to use, and that's the challenge, as you were alluding to. It's not always clear um, why a teacher might show a movie or use a particular film, Um, and, and so that's probably the way I'd put it. Yeah. And you know that you bring up a good point, too, because every student is going to learn something differently. You know, some people learn through music, others through film, others through reading. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about accuracy in these historical films. And I mentioned that there were three Best Picture nominees this last year that uh, were supposedly historical films and, you know, they were oftentimes oftentimes films like that are criticized for not being all that accurate. Do you think that's forgivable? Do you think it's okay for filmmakers to take creative license when it comes to making these films and telling these stories? So this is a perennial debate about history movies. Um, one way to look at the challenge uh, from the, the filmmaker's perspective, uh, a scholar named Robert Toplin, Toplin published a book uh, about 10 years ago, called In Defense of Filmmakers, um, that was uh, um, pointing out that you can't actually recreate history. A lot of it is so far in the past, it's irretrievable, lots of things we can't know for certain. So unavoidably, you're always going to have to fill in the gaps with imagination. Take something as elemental as dialogue. We can't know. It's impossible <laughs> to know what many historical figures might have said in private. We might have, say, a diary surviving as a record that would indicate, oh, on this day I had a conversation with so-and-so and we talked about this thing. But the particulars of what they said, we can't know. So even a meticulous, carefully researched history film that really wants to take history seriously is still going to have to, in a sense, make things up. Even language. Um, it's, very, it's a very rare history movie that's going to use lots and lots of period language. Um, maybe The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's uh, movie about uh, Jesus from uh, a few years back, that used entirely period language. But that's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. Now, do you think that rule also applies to documentaries? Because those are, you know, very much grounded in reality. They'll take uh, dialogue that's from journals and and things of that nature. But don't they also take some of that creative license in order to to present the story? This is a a more complicated question than I think uh, many people have stopped to consider. Uh, We have this kind of traditional 
aura of documentaries is, well, they must be factual, uh, they're informational, they, they won't make things up like in movies. Well, this breaks down when you start to look at the specifics. Uh, there are many feature films that we would classify as entertainment, which are still very carefully researched, uh, that will present a great many elements with a, uh, an attention to accuracy. And there are documentary films that, well, many of them will, will try to do that as well, but then there are documentaries that have other purposes. Uh, documentaries try to attract an audience as well. They want to entertain an audience as well. Um, sometimes they've, well, they all have a particular agenda, um, or a, a point of view, and so sometimes trying to advance that perspective that they, you know, their purpose for making the documentary film, that can take center stage, and that can lead to some choices that will represent history in particular ways. Um, I mean, one example that comes to mind is uh, Ken Burns, you know, probably the most famous documentary filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, he did his great series on the history of baseball um, a while ago, and um, certain ballplayers, like uh, I think Ty Cobb, barely in it. Hmm. Well, the history of baseball without some of those figures is quite a different thing. And Ken Burns, his perspective as well, they had racial attitudes that I don't want to reinforce, I don't want to bring those up, I'm, so I'm going to, in a sense, choose to leave them out of my narrative. Yeah. So it's really a very thorny question, the difference between the entertainment feature films and documentaries. Um, but in general, I would say that the, the difference is going to be a, a balance of um, entertainment and imagination, where the feature films, movies, are freest to engage in sometimes very wild imagination. And documentaries are going to be a little more constrained and what they can do there. Yeah. So Scott, let's talk about let's talk about these films in the classroom. You know, as a student, you're just thinking, well, my teacher's being lazy or they had a long night. Is that really what's going on or why why are these teachers showing historical movies? So there are a lot of possible reasons and we shouldn't um we shouldn't uh dismiss that sometimes there can be a very mechanical reason for it. Um, what if you can't be there and you need a substitute teacher and that's something that somebody can, a guest can come into the classroom and can get that going and get the students going on a task. So you can have a defensible, what I might call a mechanical reason for showing a movie. But in my own research and the research of my colleagues, uh, we found that, uh, most teachers are able to articulate a lot of other motives, uh, ones that aren't about, well, I don't want to teach or I'm not going to be here. It's, they actually have intellectual, academic, educational motivations, and uh, they can run the gamut. So is there a danger in that? Because it seems like students would, you know, go home having seen a film and maybe they're misled or given misinformation about a certain historical event or a portrayal of an actor who, you know, portrayed the president of the United States. What's, what's the danger in showing these films? I think that's a really fair question. Um, it's, it's difficult to answer because we could say, well, movies make things up. We all know they make things up. 
students in studies that we've done will say they know that movies make things up. But which things? It takes a lot of expert knowledge to be able to sort through uh, the things being presented on the screen and to say, you know, oh, wow, that's a really insightful historical analysis or that's a really insightful depiction versus, well, that's completely made up, that's false, that's misleading. That's the danger, is the inability to sort those things. And so people who are critical of using not just movies, but you could say any kind of media, so for example, historical fiction in the classroom, can very reasonably make that uh, critique, and it, it's, it is a fair one. On the other hand, just because schools might say, oh, no, we're not going to expose students to these potentially confusing historical texts, that students won't be encountering them. We know that uh, students spend a lot of hours every day engaging with various kinds of media, and the rise of on-demand digital uh, access and streaming, uh, services like Netflix or, or Hulu, students can have access to vastly more historical films, documentary films, on their own time, and uh, there's a lot of evidence that they're watching them. So if schools say, no, we're not comfortable with movies, we shouldn't uh, you know, teach students how to um, engage with them as historical texts, well, that just leaves everything to fall into private time where there's absolutely no support usually or a chance to engage with them intellectually. Yeah. And, you know, it, it seems like one positive aspect of this, and I, I, this is probably true for myself, is that, you know, maybe it's not the full truth, but maybe it's just enough to spark interest in the student to, to where they'll go and they'll do more research on the topic or a certain person. And uh, to me, that's that's, that's a great so thing. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, Scott, let's do this. Let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that you and I can share with each other some of our favorite uh, historical films and portrayals in these historical films. We'll do that. We'll take a break and continue the discussion here with Scott Metzger here on, on Screen Cleaning. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Uh, I'm here speaking with um, Scott Metzger, who's an associate professor of social education at Penn State University, and we've been talking about teaching history with film. And Scott, I thought it'd be fun now for us to share some of our picks of favorite historical films. Now, there are a few different categories here I want to cover with you. So there's first, there's favorite most accurate historical film. There's your favorite most inaccurate historical film, and the best portrayal by an actor of a historical figure in one of these films. So uh, if you don't mind, I'll go first. My favorite movie growing up, and it probably still is to this day, is one that I'm going to list it as my favorite most accurate film, even though when I did some more research on it, there were, you know— there were differing opinions on just how accurate this film was, but uh, my favorite film is The Great Escape with Steve McQueen and James Garner and James Coburn, Richard Attenborough, Charles Bronson. I could go on and on, but uh, wonderful film about uh, these prisoners of war who are digging a tunnel to escape from this prison, 
And uh, yeah, obviously there are some inaccuracies or some creative licenses that the filmmakers take. For instance, the biggest one is Steve McQueen hopping this wire fence on this motorcycle that I found out wasn't even a motorcycle that had been around at that point. Just a very entertaining. And as a little boy, how cool would it be to see these grown men digging tunnels? You know, that's kind of the dream as a kid to dig these big giant holes. So that's my favorite, most accurate, and I do air quotes on that, historical film. How about yours? Yeah, uh, there are so many to choose from, especially if we open it up to, you know, the classic, uh, classic film era. Um, it's, um, uh, as you point out though, you know, even, even the ones that will contain some really, um, useful historical insights are still going to have some made up details. So I suppose for me, I would go to, like you, a World War II movie. Uh, I'm a big fan of Sam Fuller's The Big Red One from 1980. Uh, it's a, I think, a, a war movie that deserves to be better remembered. Uh, it's one of uh, Mark Hamill's uh, few non-Star Wars movies from early in his career. And uh, Sam Fuller himself was a, a World War II combat vet, and he wanted to make, unfortunately on a, on a very tight budget, he wanted to make a World War II movie that would realistically or maybe authentically capture his experiences, but, and, and it is semi-autobiographical, but he doesn't use the real names. Instead, he uses, his characters are archetypes for the kinds of men that he served with uh, in all the various uh, theaters in uh, North Africa and in Europe in World War II. Yeah, you know, you bring up a good point, too, and I forgot to mention this when I talked about The Great Escape, but they start the movie with a disclaimer at the beginning saying that the names have been changed and the characters that are presented here are kind of a combination of of different people. So, yeah, I haven't seen that one. Interesting. Okay, now, uh, how about for uh, favorite inaccurate historical film, (laughs) I chose one that I thought was thoroughly entertaining, uh, which is U571 with Matthew McConaughey, where they're they're trying to steal this— John Bon Jovi, as I recall. That's right, John Bon Jovi and the late uh, Bill Paxton. They're trying to steal this cipher machine that that they'll need to decode messages from the Germans, and they— they hijacked this German U-boat. Very entertaining, I thought. But uh, the research that I've done on this film, very inaccurate. Yeah, it's, it's also a, a film that got under the skin of um, people in Britain and right. Poland in that uh, it's an Americanization of what was a European story. So it's one of these, um, you know, based on real events or inspired by real events kind of movies. We often will see those where they'll flash that at the at the start of the film, to let you know, hey, we want you to think that there's some authenticity. This isn't a completely made-up fantasy. But we are not literally trying to recreate what happened. In the case of U-571, it was implying that American (laughs) ships captured the Enigma machine. That was the secret to breaking the the German code. Um, In in my case, if... uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say my... Inaccurate pleasure would be uh, 300, the movie about the Greek and Persian battle of Thermopylae. 
And uh, this is a, a, a movie that is wildly visually stunning and also contains a lot of distorted elements. Uh, certainly the depiction of the ancient Persians is very fanciful in 300. But in its defense, the bulk of the story, the bulk of the narrative of, of events, pretty closely follows at least one of the lines in the best surviving source about the Persian Wars, which is the ancient historian Herodotus. So in a sense, even a really inaccurate or un fantastic movie like 300, from a certain perspective, we can say well, there is a lot of authenticity or accuracy to some aspects of it. Yeah. And then, uh, Scott, we've got about a minute left here. I just want to to share with you really quickly my favorite portrayal of a historical figure. It's actually maybe a tie between Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln, Lincoln, who a lot of people said Daniel Day-Lewis played a better Lincoln than Lincoln himself, <laughs> and uh, also Tom Hulse from the film Amadeus, which is also one of my favorite films ever. Both both great movies. I had, I had uh, Lincoln on my list as well. Um, in the case of Amadeus, the big criticism there is that it made him, and this is part of the play it was based on, it made him a free spirit, a little more than he probably was. Right. It took a lot of work to be Mozart, and it didn't all come easy to him and instantly. And that aspect kind of got played down in order to advance the theme of the play and then the movie. So you chose uh, Daniel Day-Lewis as well from Lincoln. That, and also um, I'm a big fan of Wolf Hall on PBS with Mark Rylance as Sir Thomas Cromwell, uh, Damian Lewis as King Henry VIII. This is uh, a very welcome counter-narrative to how those figures are usually depicted as rather oily, or uh, in the case of King Henry VIII, as a sort of you know, super obese, uh, monstrous uh, man. Um, uh, though those are uh, excellent uh, counter the depictions of those uh, historical figures. Well, Scott, we've had a lot of fun here with you on Screen Cleaning this morning talking about uh, teaching history with film. His name is Scott Metzger, and he is an associate professor of social education at Penn State University. And again, just a great time. And, uh, you know, filmmakers might take some creative licenses when they're making these films, but the stories are important, and uh, maybe they'll spark some curiosity in us to go out and do the research ourselves, find out the real truth. We'll take a quick break. When we return, we'll be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. This is Screen Cleaning. This is a 90-second movie review for The Star on BYU Radio. The Star is an early addition to the 2017 set of Christmas films. As you can tell by the title, this one does tend toward the religious side of the Christmas story. The Star tells the story of Mary, played by Gina Rodriguez, and Joseph, played by Zachary Levi, and how they come to bring the baby Jesus to a manger in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph, though, are not the only participants in this journey. Bo the donkey, played by Stephen Yun, and his friend Dave the dove, played by Keegan-Michael Key, must assist in the journey. That becomes more dangerous when a soldier starts following the couple. Watching this film is like trying to follow someone telling a story who goes on a tangent and then goes back and forth until they finish. It was nice to have the two stories, but passing back and forth was a distraction. Also, this film was really more suited for children as it is a little too cute for adults. It lacks some sophistication that would keep an adult interested in the story. That may be because the filmmakers tried to satisfy everyone of a Christian faith with this story. There is a bit of humor thrown into the script of this film, and there are moments that will make you laugh, but kids will enjoy the humor more than adults. 
This is a good film to teach children the origins of the Christmas story, though. There is a little violence in the film as dogs chase and try to attack other animals. A soldier draws his sword a few times to intimidate a man and falls from a cliff. Some crude humor as a bird jokes about pooping on people. And that's all that gets this film its PG rating. The Star is a cute film, but aimed at a younger audience. I'm giving it a C-plus grade. I'm Sean O'Neill. This has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. From the paintings of Monet to the history of baking powder, Thinking Aloud brings you thoughtful conversation on almost any topic you can think of, and maybe some you've never thought about before. And there were trials. There were trials over baking powder that went to the United States Supreme Court. So who knew? I mean, nobody thinks about baking powder. Listen to Thinking Aloud weekdays at 1 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. There's our happy music. We like to play that sometimes when we go over to Spencer and Jerem of BYU Sports Nation because they make us so happy. And uh, let's uh, talk to them right now. Spencer and Jerem, are you there? We are What's here. Up? It is a Friday. Woo-hoo! We are ready to go. Excellent. I've got an excellent question for you. Speaking of excellent, you guys are, you know, it's it's no secret that you're well-known, famous celebrities. Wow. What? Uh, a lot happened in that I'll sentence. I'll take no for $200, but yeah. <laughs> Let's just say people might recognize you when you go places. Locally, at least, right? BYU C-list celebrity. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, at, at another time, I'd love to hear who else is on that list. Um, <laughs> on the seeds. So we're, we've been talking about movies. Can you believe it? On screen cleaning, we've been talking about movies. And, we love uh, talking about movies. We talked about the fact that Princes William and Harry are going to be making cameos as stormtroopers in the new Star Wars film. Oh, are they? And we're going to be seeing that movie uh, together as long as you guys are, are still going with all the other employees here. Please. You know Please. We're okay. Spencer and I will have seen it the night before as well. Yep. So this is a, this is a question Please. from Cole. It's a fantastic question. Let's just say you were uber famous, recognizable anywhere, and uh, you had some say on, on, you know, you could have people answer your whims, right? Okay. Which director would you go to and say, I want a part in your film? What film would that be or which director would you go to? Um, I would go to Christopher Nolan. <gasps> yeah, I said the show. same thing. For show. Wow. Yeah, I would go to Christopher Nolan. Any particular one of his films that you would have wanted to be a part of? Um, probably Inception. Really? Yes. One of the Batmans would have been awesome. You just wanted to get in one of those, I don't know, if, they didn't have zero gravity rooms. They had like a, a rotating room that they basically spun around. I remember that. Man, I loved that movie. And I yeah. I liked Interstellar, too. I know that one got, you know, it was a little bit divisive, had some mixed reviews, but I, I think he's brilliant. Jerem, what did you say? Did you say Christopher I, Nolan as well? I agree. Which film? Any mm-hmm. of them? Yeah, Batman would be amazing. Like any of them? Oh, yeah. 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 Well, that's exciting. Um, <laughs> it is funny, though, that you chose the same exact director as I did. He's the man. He is the man. Yes, and I want my soundtrack in life to be made by Hans Zimmer. Oh, yeah. Good call. Speaking of, of, good, of the good man or a good man... Uh, Critchlow. Oh yeah. Is he gonna? Is he gonna bring it home? 
at home this well, weekend? That, that's kind of what we're all wondering, and that's the premise of today's topic on the show. Uh, he's a big part of how we are asking fans that they conjure up a one-upper performance for BYU and Joe Critchlow compared to what they did against UNLV. Like, what would that wow. entail? Yeah, that's the question, right? Because going 14 of 22 for 161 touchdown, no interceptions, that was nice because he's the four-string and he's a walk-on, and the offense has stunk. He managed the game well, but that's not going to win him the starting job next year. Those numbers will not win him the starting job. Hmm. Um, so can he do more? Can he do more? We'll talk to Dennis Pitta, the former BYU All-American and NFL player, on the program as well. Big game for basketball. Saturday night against UT Arlington, the team that ended BYU season in the Marriott Center last year. Mm. We want to preview it with a former BYU basketball coach. His name is Steve Cleveland. He's back! <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean for there to we be were hoping a, you would a get pause excited after that. Something I, I was, but you said Steve Cleveland, and I thought of the Cleveland show. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no! <laughs> Clevesland. He's yes. back, man. Interesting. Okay, so we want to see if Critchlow can aim high this weekend. Yes. Huh? Huh? Yeah, senior yeah. day in Provo. Just Send so you know. Right. Just so you know, um, you can use that on your show if you want. Uh, Noted. <laughs> <laughs> He's back! <laughs> so uh, I want to know, too, are you guys going to be uh, at the movie theater Tuesday night for Justice League? I'm going tonight. Oh! <gasps> Really? And it's going to stink, and I know it. But you'll really, have a good not time. not much. Oh, you'll have a no. good time. Zack Snyder primarily directed this movie. That means it will suck. Oh. Wow. Even Wonder Woman has a prominent role? He did not direct Wonder Woman. Oh, I know he didn't direct it. I'm just saying, like, she's in the movie. Ugh, one but character what, does Can she movie salvage that, some of it? She's one of six main characters. Even yeah. with that little touch of Joss Whedon, do you think that'll be enough? No. It wow. came in too late. They had done the wow. primary filming already. You can't you can't t- change the story that much after. Well, I'm um, glad pickups. I'm glad you're at least optimistic about the games this weekend. Yeah, what yeah. will be better, BYU's football performance tomorrow or? Justice oh, not League? even close! Oh my <laughs> gosh, get out of here! <laughs> wow, Justice, well, it's gonna suck, but I've got to go see this. These I I like these characters. I'm going to go watch it. Well, speaking of getting out of here, uh, I'm going to have to ask the two of you to get out of here because you got to go get ready for your show. Don't get be out rude. Of here. Don't be rude like that. No, get I I try to say it in the nicest way possible. I want you to get out of my life. See, that well, was that's nice. A different question. That, I felt good about myself when you said that. So, <laughs> yeah. So coming up here in six minutes on BYU Radio, BYU Sports Nation with Spencer and Jerem. It's going to be a good show. It better be a good show. Of course it'll be. Those guys are the greatest. Anyway, uh, before we get to our panning for good segment here, Cole, I wanted to ask you about this new uh, feature that uh, Rotten Tomatoes is offering called See It or Skip It. What's your two cents on this? Well, uh, I think you should probably explain what exactly it is I'll first. I'll let you do it. Okay, so it debuts <laughs> It debuts in time for Justice League and in time for the not-so-favorable Justice League reviews. We didn't see an actual Rotten Tomatoes score for this movie until approximately 4.30 Mountain Standard Time as I was staring at my phone and saw it happen uh, for a movie that I was going to see in approximately five and a half hours from that point. Um I'm not the kind of person that's going to be swayed by that kind of thing, especially when it comes to a comic book movie. 
I'm going to go see it anyway. Sure. But Theater Skip It is where they kind of hold off so that they can they can debut it all all at one time and just kind of give it a vote, see it or skip it. It's a transparent attempt to hide the fact that certain movies we don't want you to find out the score uh, <laughs> this soon or at least the studios don't want people right. to. Transparency being the the operative word? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of it either. I'm going to skip the show, see, see it, it or skip, skip it. it. There you go. Uh, it, it's kind of sad, too, that we've come to a point. I realize now we have countdowns to trailers, which is kind of sad. But now we have countdowns to reviews for the movies. Could we have a countdown to our show where we talk about movies? Ooh, All week on the Matt Townsend show, you should say it's five days till screen cleaning, four days till screen cleaning. Pretty soon, three though, days till screen we're going to get to a point where we're doing countdowns to reviews of trailers. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get to our panning for good segment, as we like to do every week here on Screen Cleaning. There's good in them dire hills. We talked earlier on the show about uh, Star Wars Episode Eight and how Princes Harry and William are going to be making cameos in that film. Super exciting, I guess, for some people who, who love uh, Princes Harry and William. But uh, somebody else made a cameo, not in a movie, but on a ride about a movie at Disneyland. Did you hear about this, Cole? I did not. So... Imagine you're sitting there on Star Tours, a fun ride, and you expect to uh, to hear the voice of Pee Wee Herman, although I guess it's not. I think they replaced him with somebody else. Uh, and you're just sitting back ready for a, a nice, fun time on Star Tours. And the a person, an employee, walks on and says, we've got a special passenger today. And actually, I think he says it all in this clip. Actually, you know what? The captain did mention something about a special passenger Oh, and the force is strong with this one. So let me go Hello, ahead. everyone. That, of course, is the voice of Mark Hamill, who just makes a surprise visit to a tour on Star Tours. Super cool. I love it. When celebrity, and I don't know, say what you will, maybe maybe the movie studio put it in his contract that he had to make these appearances. I don't think so. I love it when celebrities use their celebrity to make other people happy, especially when they don't need to. And I think people, especially like Mark Hamill, really enjoy this type of thing. They enjoy going to the Comic-Cons. They enjoy making these special trips to hospitals and rides at Disneyland. And good for them. My hat's off to them and to all celebrities who enjoy making people happy with their celebrity. And we love using our celebrity locally uh, here to make people happy here on screen cleaning and uh, we won't be back next week but enjoy your thanksgiving we'll be back two weeks from now have a great weekend